Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 20th of December 2020. I don't think, well maybe they will, because people don't have much of a memory these days. And actually it's been that way for an awful long time. When you understand the whole idea of information warfare and the techniques to be used on the public, as stated years ago, actually back in the 90s when they came up with the idea of a total war on the public who really thought they were going to get free speech for a while, you know, with the internet coming up and all that. And other powers had a different point of view. I can remember even Hillary Clinton saying, we've got to find ways to control the narratives. And, of course, the military of the U.S. especially, and Britain too, GCHQ, were heavily involved in finding ways to make sure that they had the controlling factor. But at the same time, back then in the 90s, they didn't want it. The whole idea was to get everybody on the Internet, you understand? Because that's the way you, that you're all monitored. And they can get personality profiles and updates. It's daily with your input and so on, doing it all voluntarily. And so they give you all these social platforms that they would pretend were privately owned by by single individuals and nonsense like that. This is a famous thing that they've done for centuries, is give you the front people for big organizations. But anyway, that's how they published it in the 1990s, the idea being that you could never give the public true freedom of speech. And, and I understand some of it, because you understand, you, you, anyone who's looked into the the forums and so on, and talk shows and forums, and, and uh, incredible fighting goes on with egos, which worsened in, uh, all the time. The more you looked into them, it worsened, worsened, worsened through the, after 2001, until literally... Uh, it's a zoo now, and a lot of it is manufactured by the very powers in the cyber warfare groups employed by the military, and or the government's military, and uh, contracting out to private organisations, which the governments are famous for doing now. The whole idea of what government is is vastly changed. In fact, folk don't realise it that the major sections that government used to run and manage. They simply farm out to all kinds of agencies, not, including the military too, actual physical troops, as you well know, and mercenary groups, etc. Far more, far bigger than they ever did in the past. Before, the special forces, ex-special forces, um, were used uh, as mercenaries through organizations. Every country has particular agencies that run them. And they will do operations with the, the plausible deniability factor as well. But the governments, we, we didn't employ them, you know, and they were privately owned and, and privately contracted to go and do dirty jobs. But of course, the governments are always behind it. That old famous saying that if you're caught, you know, we have no responsibility or no knowledge of you, etc. Actually, actually is the way it's done. And it isn't just for, for overt operations like that. It's all kinds of operations. You don't realize that, that, that there's many forms of warfare, not just cyber warfare, etc., but many forms of warfare. Economic warfare, too, is one of the, the best, uh, most effective forms of warfare there could be. You, you look at COVID-19, with one fell swoop of flattened everything instantly on the plan to completely bankrupt all the nations deliberately by locking down all the healthy folk 
for something that supposedly kills 0.15 or something, the population. And even then, that's very iffy. However, facts won't matter when there's big agendas. And your whole life has been living through agendas, and you don't even know it. That's the sad thing about it. Because as I've said so many times, you're trained from birth to be naive and to trust using natural impulses that you're born with, basically, to be tribal. And a small tribe, that's how your, your, your mind is shaped for a small clan or tribe uh, where you have a chief and you elect a chief and the chief can get ousted or knocked off if he gets too big for his boots uh, by the people, you see. But And so we're, we're still in that mentality, that mode. And naturally, the, the chief has got nothing to, to, to gain by lying to you all the time when your, your whole survival is at stake, including his own, along with you, you see. But when, it, when you end up with this, this mammoth, this modern governmental system, this, this too, too big, you can't even imagine it really. You can't, it's, it's a name, it's a term, but you can't really imagine it because you, a, a tribal chief is one person. You can picture him and you can see him and you can see his family and so on. But with government today, including the, the hundreds and thousands of agencies that take the work that's farmed out to them by governments across the world, you can't imagine it anymore, you see. So the whole idea of voting for this person, that person, was gone long ago. They're all fronts to an extent, you see. And uh, it's been that way from the, at least... In, well, actually, Carl Quigley mentioned that every member of every party at the top, the top members of political parties in the Western world and in the U.S. since... He wrote the book in the 1960s, Tragedy and Hope, but he, he did mention that, that every... Every government had its top members as a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and, and even the name prior to the, the CFR, before that was formed. Uh, is, is it for at least 60 years? Well, so you do it in 1900, the year 1900, when there was an organization still uh, bringing their own presidents and top members of cabinets into power. Same in Britain, of course, and it was more better documented in Britain with the Lord Alfred Milner Group as an example, and the Rhodes Foundation that was associated with them both working together uh, with Rothschild. And that's no conspiracy theory. You can actually read Cecil Rhodes' uh, wills, you know, where he mentions Rothschild and leaves money to him and back and forth. And personally, I think it was the, the fact that Rothschild had really funded Roads from the beginning, and it's part of the contract deal that much of the money has to go back to the to the cause because it's, it's not just a person Rothschild; it's a cause. It's a it's an agenda, a long, far-reaching agenda, no doubt about it. Uh, this, the, and Rhodes changed his will quite a few times, by the way. You know, he's a, he was a bit off the rails, Rhodes himself. He vacillated back and forth with all the different characters. He would leave the cash too, but they remember they were. He 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 was a real believer. Cecil Rhodes, in a world governmental system, not democratic. It would use that term of democ- democracy to get to keep the people quiet. You know, it's a great drug, democracy, because folk really literally sit back and forget to watch with, with incredible scrutiny the machinations of government. It puts you to sleep, you see, 
oh, well, they're dealing with that. They're, they're looking after my rights and freedoms for me. And that's how you see it. And that's how they want you to see it. It's quite fascinating to realize that you're, again, it can only work when you're, when you're, when the natural tribal systems that Edward Bernays was well aware of too. Uh, the guy wasn't just some kind of um, end product of generations of, of merchants. He, he, they certainly understood them. And the same in India and in the merchant causes and so on, or, or merchant histories, you might say, and the, of the Brahmins. Where they understood how the psychology of the public, how to, how to pacify and keep them happy and make them think they're winning or getting something for free or almost free or getting a deal or whatever, is Brahmanistic too. That's what you find even as far back as the, the writings about the Buddha, about Siddhartha. When he used, at one point apparently, he said that he needed money for something, you see. And. Part of it was a journey back somewhere else, but he needed money to get there, so he, he laid out tables for wares, and using his Brahmanistic techniques and understandings of human nature, he, he quickly brought in lots of money. He knew to manipulate the customers very well. Well, it's the same with Bernays. Uh, you, you, you understand, you're the end product of thousands and thousands of years of commerce, you know, in one form or another. In one way or another, not just supermarkets, but going way back to little wooden boats coming in with pots full of things and barley and all that. You're the end product of it all. And knowledge is never wasted or lost by those who run the systems, including commerce, naturally. And it was also to do with people and personalities and nations and and, uh, that kind of thing. Culture is very important. And how to sell things and how to even make markets happen. That's still the same today. But in the old days, uh, markets were primarily down, mainly down to the, what you really, really needed for surviving. And what you do, of course, is knock out competition by all kinds of means, fair and foul, mainly foul. But that's how it's done. And they take over and then they'll supply the, the customers. And when there's nobody else to, there's no competition, you can then dictate terms to the customers as well. Well, we won't sell us to you unless blah, blah, blah. And on it goes, you see. Monopolization is awfully important. That's why I call people monopoly men who take over the world's essential supplies. And then they form big organizations, a whole bunch of them, of course. And sometimes underneath those big bunches of them, there's millions, literally millions across the world of subgroups, literally, that they'll set up across the planet to micromanage all different kinds of necessities and markets and so on. A complicated thing in a sense because of its size and scope. But basically it's still the same thing where... Monopoly power decides how the culture is going to be directed. If you want a society to grow up uh, all smoking cigarettes, then you make it very sexual like Bernays did. He was paid to do it, and and he did it very well, of course, especially with the women. Uh, You get the top fashionable women to go into a magazine, do a magazine shoot, basically, in the open air in New York, and uh, all cameras are there, there are the cameras and, and photographers, and... And there's even the miniskirts, you see, for, for the, the Charleston era in the 1920s, Roaring Twenties, to sexify. It looks glamorous, and there they are with their cigarette holders and holding their 
their cigarettes at the end of these, uh, wearing the latest gear and fashion. So the young girls would say, wow, you know, so that's liberation and, and that's what been a, a real, a real avant-garde type female is today and they copy it. Very successful indeed to get them smoking. But also to give them the booze can, she turned out lots of movies at the time, the gangster movies and, and, and the sexy, sexy, what they called them, the malls, was it? That would accompany the, the gangsters. And they'd all go to these, these clubs where it was sex and exciting and naughty and bad and all that. And uh, that's how they glamorized all of that too. It's all done deliberately. It isn't just to make money, as you're often told. I'll do that at the same time, naturally. But that's how you run. But society is, is, is very old, and we still live in the tribal sense to trust the chief. So you trust the rubbish that comes out of the mouths of those at the top, and you really don't want to meet the folk at the top. You know, but at least the ones that you see, they're not the bosses, the ones who pretend to run the countries. They're on television. As I've said so many times, their jobs to take the tomatoes that are thrown at them. And then you vote another bunch and it does exactly the same because they're all working for the same boss, you see. That's how it really works. And you wouldn't want to know those characters, though, because politicians are grimy, grimy a lot, really, honestly. They, they have no morals and qualms at all. They, they tend to have psychopathic tendencies, for sure. Some are definitely psychopaths, obviously. Though by their behavior, it's rather obvious. And they like power, but they're also under higher bosses, and they do what they're told. And that is a trait in psychopathy, too, is that they, they generally will. They understand a structured system. They might not like it or care for it, unless it suits them or benefits them. Anything that benefits a psychopath is what they'll do. They'll take that lead, they'll climb the ladder, and they'll do whatever they're told. But don't forget that these characters are still front people because the, the speech writers are the ones, these are the invisible powers, part, or part of the invisible powers that Bernays talked about, the, the future of the world be, would be run really by invisible powers. He meant that it was with the arts of persuasion and techniques of persuasion, visual, auditory, through marketing, for instance. You know. But yet speechwriters too, it's the same thing, and they know exactly how to write the speech. Uh, and it's gone over, but actually every speech is, is analyzed by panels who then uh, criticize any any flaws that they see in it or uh, and then readjust everything over it. A lot of work goes into it. And so the speeches that you hear presidents and prime ministers just give out or their spokespeople near the top, the appointed politicians, it takes a lot of work to get that done. So the person is just reading the script, the politician, and uh, it's probably out of their head the next day or even that night because they don't really care much about helping the public. Or you wouldn't be in the mess that you're in, would you? And if you had honest politicians, apart from the fact to be assassinated so quickly, then uh, you wouldn't have this this awful mess of a world that we're in right now. And I don't put it all down to them either, because you understand you've got to have some kind of order in society. Of course you do. I was reading an article recently, too, someone sent me, about uh, uh, an anarchist, a lifelong anarchist who went through the the different anarchist systems in uh, another country, 
trained to be a revolutionary and and took a good part of as part, as a woman actually a good part of her life to realize that all they were getting taught was how to destroy without ever giving a thought to the how do you rebuild something and what kind of thing would you rebuild and how do you can you maintain order and you'll they'll, they'll obviously run up against the same problem of themselves and younger anarchists coming up in the same school of thought who again will try to destroy and as you try to build a system that, that functions then the, the other ones will try and destroy it too so you, you got to understand that there's compromise obviously in any structured system but anarchists really uh, are at the very bottom level anyway are taught just to destroy and take things down and because of that you always end up with massive suffering uh, for the general population including the anarchists themselves you know who are generally the first ones to get picked up and, and eliminated because those that the higher anarchists who designed it all realize they can't have them at the bottom trying to destroy what they're now building. So you have that that paradox over and over again with them. But the big boys, of course, and gals too, were equal opportunity psychopaths in this day and age. You can understand that with those who want their new, well, technocratic global order based on a, a rules-based system, they call it. They use all these different terms. Most folk don't understand what the terminology means. And they don't go out of their way to explain it to you either, including the media. The media's job is not there to help you, as you well know. It's to be a, a mouthpiece for authority, to make sure you... And I gave talks oh, back in the 90s about how you get authoritative opinions given to you. And how it's even then, and even long before I was born, these techniques were understood by using media, the newspapers and radio and then television. Well understood of how you bring people to a consensus of opinion uh, and without them really knowing it, that they're being guided to the opinions. Whenever you had major uh, topics in Britain, as an example, Britain was awfully good as a socialist system for, for really studying socialism and the techniques that they used. Very dry, in a sense, which put people off. But if you persevered and dug through it, you could find out the, the real machinations behind it, what they're really up to and what they really want, and the techniques that they use. So part of, the part of boring you stiff with, 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 uh, in socialism is to, make, is to turn folk off from setting them. <laughs> by, by, so that's all purposeful. And they do a good job of it. You, you want to fall asleep uh, during their, their debates and talks and so on. And even the language they have too is is it's is designed for bureaucrats, really, in a sense, you know, who who generally are not terribly interesting people, you know, on the whole, anyway. But you you you've got this system of control, as they say, and they would you would hear speeches in Britain with party members of different parties, especially near election times and so on. Or they bring out a member of parliament who's appointed to be over one part of the parliamentary system. And they give a talk, and then you'd get at least always two, at least two, uh, again, professionals that would go over what they just said. And you'd sit there waiting for the, 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 this important announcement, where it was going to be. And then you would get the, the person coming out to, to give the announcement, a written speech, naturally, not written by the politician that gave it but by some high-level bureaucrat in that, that part of the civil service whose job it is to know what they're doing, uh, at least on that topic, you know. But they read it off, 
And then you'd have two. This is a charade, you understand. So that the politician would read it off. He probably knew, knew nothing about it or understood it even or cared. And and then two, at least two people who, who listened to it or maybe more, maybe a four uh, time of a panel, at least they, they, they would go through what had just been said, you see. And then they would bring you cleverly, you don't realize it, cleverly bring you to the consensus of opinion of what you, regardless of what you thought you really heard, they, they would convince you this is what they're really saying. Well, if it was, we all speak this, in a country, you all speak the same language generally, and you understand what they're saying. But here's a panel of two or four to tell you, oh, this, this is what they really said. Uh, and that becomes your opinion because they give you these. Oh, see, they, they make stars of these opinion makers that are put, brought forward to, to, on debates and so on. They make stars of it, a star making machinery. So you hear so and so come. Oh, well, well, they know what they're talking about. They're they're really famous, you know. So their opinion or what they come out with becomes yours. But they guide it to you through a fake debate between two or four of them. And that's the techniques that's used. And you'll never figure If there's one person that just come out and says, here's what they really said, you say, oh, come on, here's no why. But if you get two or four of them, they'll, they'll, they'll convince you that you never heard what you heard at all. Here's what they, they really, you really heard. They'll tell you what you heard, and, and you'll believe it. And it's so, it's so simple, you know. That's the same as that ash conformity test that they do, you know. They've done it all before. Experiment. But, yeah. And I gave those talks too in that, that experiment years ago as well, which is interesting to realize how you're brought to consensus and opinions and so on. But most folk don't realize you're even guided to, to getting your opinions. You know. As I say, all you'd have to do is play what, you, what the politician said, even the, re- the reading of the script. And you heard them say it, and you can decide yourself what you heard them say. But why would you need four folk to reinterpret something that's in plain language and give you a completely different version of what it was all about? And they get paid big money for that, too. Interestingly enough, so many things are like that throughout your life. And pretty well all the time on television when they bring them out. But I don't know if you've ever listened or found the old recording of Carl Quigley, Professor Carl Quigley, the much-touted um, head or, 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 or tutor to the U.S. Department of State, uh, the State Department. He would teach all the, the characters who ended up in the, the State Department, the highest area of importance, I would say, outside the military. And the U.S. government... Um, and he also picked, uh, like they do at university or college, they pick them young uh, for future leaders and groom them. They teach them and quickly uh, go accolades from Bill Clinton because Clinton claimed he chose him and groomed him for his position in the world. So quickly was no idiot, and he was an elitist himself. You know? But he did say on an audio, it's quite interesting, Never mind uh, about the fact that something much higher run the system than even he was involved in. He was at a high enough level. But um, he did say that he and others, other well-known, again, these star-making star machinery, you see, would, would be often phoned up and brought on 
panels on television to refute whatever was coming out by some leaders' um, investigations into things. And if they didn't like what they were hearing, the, the system, the establishment, would pull them in and try to get these professors to, to refute and ridicule publicly on television these people. And Quigley said that he did a good job of it, and he was so... They did, they're, they're very arrogant, you know, in their, in their power and so on. And he got shocked one day, he said, because he, he was brought in to a guy who had written a book about, I think it was, was it Nun, Dear Call It Conspiracy, I think it was called, maybe Gary Allen. Or, but anyway, he, he, said, he said this guy knew his stuff, and he says we couldn't ref, refute what he was saying because he had all the data there, the factual data. And that upset them because they were so used to just, on behalf of, the, of this, what you would call the deep state today or the establishment, they, they were so used to be able to make mockery of uh, some upstart, as they would call them, coming in to try and tell the public to be wary or, or be warned of whatever government was up to in this or that uh, area. And that's how it's really done. Every country had the same techniques on the go, especially in the West, with the CFR and Trilateral Commission, and also with... The Royal Institute for International Affairs is an example. They had it, and they have the, the, the Royal Institute for International Affairs. They have a department in every Commonwealth country, including India, and all the way to, and, and even have one in Japan. Interesting enough, they they set that one up a long time ago for the Far East, and now they have divisions in even in um, China, Communist China. So anyway. Uh, what you always learn is the world is vastly different from that picture that you have in your mind. And you're still living in a primitive system in your mind of, here's the tribe, and, and here's my teacher at school. They're really nice folk. And it never dawns you're getting brainwashed on behalf of the establishment. And then you you have your, your little childish, um, like school School books, you know, little painted pictures, and here's a, here's a here's a nice policeman. Policemen are there because they're nice, and things like that. And it doesn't dawn on you that a policeman's job is uh, he doesn't care. It's, it's to arrest people and get up the ladder by arresting people, and they do it by finding all they can out about anybody on any possible case or whatever, and they don't have any really uh, aff- affiliations with you. Uh, outside of that, they 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 they'll put you in prison for the slightest thing, if they can, and um, and they do. You know? So that's why they always tell you if you at least talk to you, never, never, um, never help them. You put yourself in trouble without even knowing it, even though you've done nothing wrong. But uh, but that's how it really is. You know, you're living in a system where you're brainwashing, you're thinking it's all quite natural. And uh, teachers are natural, and, and you might even like the teachers, you know. But when you realize that what they've been teaching you is essential to your indoctrination by those who own your nation, and your, your nations are owned, you know. And those who own them are quite open about it in their own circles. And they make sure that, uh, that, that the peasantry is brought up believing in, in what they're taught to believe, and, and so that you won't have so much trouble out of them, you know. Managing people is a big business, you know. Big business, of course, is great when you get them to earn money and then you tax it back from them to pay those that manage them on behalf of those who own you. 
<laughs> it's quite a good system, eh? It can't really fail. But that's how it's been for an awful long time. Awful long time. And that arrogance of it today is overwhelming, really. To me, I'm not surprised when they came out with what they did with the total lockdowns with COVID, the whole idea of COVID. And COVID really is the big one. It's, it's like the plan C if, if plan A and B didn't work. And it might even be plan D. You don't realize your whole life long you've been brainwashed and you're thinking that, that there's too many of you. And this, I could see this with my grandparents as well, maybe even great-grandparents, because you don't realize that the Malthusian idea of overpopulation of the masses that would outbreed the rest, like the movie Idiocracy, was a, a, a big, big thing. Uh, the nobility and aristocracy really were concerned about it. Mainly, I would say, it got worse, actually, in the 19th century, when they they had the big, you know, that big um, industrial years on the go. But they also knew that the industrial revolution wouldn't last forever as other areas. Don't forget those who ran Britain, uh, run the Commonwealth of Britain, you know. Britain's just a, a corporate name for an enterprise. You know? All countries are, you're just enterprises for corporations. And they are a corporation themselves, as the name itself is. So, you understand that the, the British Commonwealth uh, was fueled by money. It was lent to government by those who owned the government, basically. And, and, and the, the system of the country, of the nation, they owned it, as far as they were concerned. Everything, everything. I heard a banker tell me this, you know, myself that uh, that bankers were responsible for everything moving in the world. Without that, without them and and them loaning money, nothing would happen. You see, that, that it was very simple, but arrogantly put. But that, that's uh, that's the way that they've always seen it. And if you have a monopoly of money and you've got the right to, to print the money, and no one else has, you make sure of that, you know, then uh, you have nothing much to worry about. So then you lend the money to the governments for enterprises, which you want them to do, fulfill, like sending troops over to different countries to get the country's wealth or to get cheap labor, wherever it happens to be, uh, or both, get resources and cheap labor. And uh, and, and then you get, uh, so you get a massive profit coming in for those who who basically end up being appointed over it. And they've got the rights to extract those minerals or resources or whatever and businesses and even run the other countries' uh, financial systems too. And then you get the, the people back home to pay the cost of it all, the actual dry cost of it, the true public-private partnerships, you see. And so the public pays for the debt incurred by the government borrowing money from these guys who wanted to take over other nations' resources. <laughs> Not bad, eh? Uh, you can't really um, do better than that uh, for yourself. And and they prosper. And prosperous people, again, it goes into eugenics and it's well-seated in certain anthropologies, if you study anthropology and different groups of people. But people figured out long ago that you'll survive much better if you live better than other people around you, since most folk will be in a state of poverty, 
and poverty isn't conducive to, to health, as an example. Therefore, uh, the more you, if you can create money, this thing called money, as a substitute for real wealth, which is what you create yourself through gardening or farming or building or something, um, if you can create this, this in-between thing, this thing called money, and you can loan it out to people, then you'll be top dog. And you'll have more than anybody else that the people that do actual work. Especially when you get them all on it by law. And to pay taxes back, then you have to, then have to actually earn money, which you own. You own the money, they go to earn it. And then you tax it back from them. This is what a scam, really, isn't it? But we all, we're all taught it's quite natural. And most of your parents probably thought it was natural too, simply because their parents thought it was natural. And that's how how it is. If you don't warn, um, I've mentioned this before, mammals look towards parents to warn them. All mammals do, of what's dangerous to them, or what's wrong. And it's like bear cubs are quite pleasant little characters when they're young. And they will follow you. Because they want to come up and say, what are you? You know, you're a little creature. And they're they're curious, but they have no fear. And that's why the mother will come up and kill you, you see. Because she's been trained through experience that people are bad. And and so bad people can't go near her cub, quite simply. So we should be doing the same. Parents are mostly the same. Human parents should warn their their children. But yet you give it all over to the state through education. As Bertrand Russell said, we should think we have to take children from their parents pretty well at weaning stage, get them away from the parents, so they wouldn't be contaminated with the ideas and culture of their parents. But he said now that we have found very effective means of indoctrination, he says we can use the, let the parents keep and pay for the upkeep of the children, while the state will use these techniques for the indoctrination of the children so effectively that when they come home, any input by the parent on any particular topic will be cancelled out by the child. They won't listen to them or accept it. They'll only accept that which they're taught at school. And that's, that was all done when I was growing up. That was obvious, you know, at school when I, when I went there. I knew it. I could tell. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, you don't realise that this is how you've been raised most of what government does is pretty well secret. It might, everything's dualistic. They have an open inquiry type thing. You look it up, it's like a wiki thing, a page, very simplistic. You say, oh, that's what this department does. But that's, that's nonsense. That's for public consumption amongst themselves. They have deeper agendas. And government is always in the, primarily in the role of, of managing the people to suit those that own own the people. And you are owned. You are. Under a corporation, you're, you're, you're owned. There's no doubt about it. And they even talk about you as a product. You are a product. You know, you're also a product which they created uh, to consume their other products and things like that. You have no idea that that's how it's done. So yeah, your opinions are given to you. Your education is awfully important especially the preliminary education, which gives you, which makes sure that subsequent indoctrination and propaganda takes on a hold on you and you'll accept it. If you don't get that when you're young, uh, if they start when, they're, when you're maybe 10, 15, 
years of age, uh, it's, it's much harder for them to to keep a hold of you because you're you, you you're like a wild person, and I mean wild, in in the sense that your mind works for yourself. That's how nature intends it to be. Wild animals are natural animals, and wild animals are survivors. They're independent. They're not kept in a zoo and hand-fed to be docile, domesticated. But the population, when they say it's domestic population, they mean domesticated population. And you are taught to be domesticated and to obey, to be obedient, you see. But a wild man is a term they use themselves at the top of the tree. They call themselves wild because they're unaffected by indoctrination. They didn't get that indoctrination. As I'm saying, if you realize their children, the conversations their children, the, the elite's children will have amongst themselves, is, uh, and they know they're taught, is rammed into them to be secretive about it, don't let outsiders hear you, and so on. But the children, uh, just like their parents of, of the elite, are quite open about how the world's really run amongst themselves, including the techniques I'm talking about, you know. And so they grow up uh, knowing uh, the reality, they don't, that you're all brought up uh, as a peasant class uh, in non-reality huh? or unreality. And you're obedient and you think you are in a reality. That's their big joke, you see, how well it worked. But most folk have no, will never wake up to it. The indoctrination is so intense. And so effective. It wasn't just Russell said it, so did Aldous Huxley. And others, Aldous Huxley on, on the Mike Wallace show said the same thing, that, that the techniques back then, I think in the 1950s, he said, were so effective that the people would be accepting things that perhaps they shouldn't because it was unwise or un, un, it wasn't good for them to accept what was being indoctrinated into them by techniques they didn't even know were, were being used on them. And look at it today, you know, look at it today where folk haven't got a clue. They've become the kind of robotic consumer society. For a while, it's finished now, it's gone uh, with, with the reset. Uh, that's the whole point of it was to destroy the past, to bring it into the new system. But for long enough, you had uh, cons- the consumer society. A little burst of excess materialism. You know, not it wasn't a long period really, compared to what you could what you could afford to buy, say, nineteen seventies or eighties or nineties even, to the the mass of, of the stuff since China became the production giant engine for the world. It was met, it was set up to do that by outside forces. But you don't realize that it's, it's a short spurt of materialism, really. You know? And then you're blamed for it by those who own all the, all the, the produce. The, the, they own, all, they, they have holding companies that own hundreds and thousands of factories in China, for goodness sake. And then they're telling you now, these people that set it all up, that you're bad and you're destroying their planet. And there's still too many of you, like Malthus said. And uh, it's astonishing that it hasn't changed. But back to the wild man, they're the wild man, you see. It's what the children of the elite call themselves because they hear the parents saying that. And you find, too, that uh, 
the book that was put out by Charles Galton Darwin called The Next Million Years it has a lot of that in it, you see. Now, he, don't forget that he, uh, like a lot of the Darwin family, they, they saw themselves as scientists, and he was a physicist, this guy, who worked on the Manhattan Project. And so he had, he had good ideas of how to kill off millions of people. He, he, didn't, he didn't just preach about it, he did it. But he... He wrote a book, The Next Million Years. We talked about the past and how slavery had always existed in the past. Uh, always, right up to where he was talking in the 1950s for his book. And he says, I, and he says, I, I don't see why it will ever disappear or, or continue in one form or, or another, you know, forever. And you're in a form of slavery, you don't even know it. He, he, here's one of them telling you that, you know. And at the same time, he had the same Malthusian problems that they all have. You see, there's too many of you, and as they change society and don't need as many of you, well, they don't want you around. They really don't like you. They really don't like you at all. And like Bertrand Russell, being one of them himself, said, he says, elite become a spe- they'll become a specialized, a separate species from the general public through their very selective, careful choice of partners. But he didn't tell you a lot more, actually mated together by others, you see, in true eugenic fashion for the improvement of their species. So yeah, you're living through astonishing times when the information is available, but folk are so caught up in crisis after crisis after crisis, they can't fathom it. They can't grasp hold of one thing long enough to comprehend it and then understand it and investigate it. And that's that's another technique the elite use as crisis after crisis after crisis. Stampede the herd. Rapid change comes because as you're trying to adapt to survive, you adapt quicker and quicker and quicker to things that you shouldn't adapt to, like Aldous Huxley said, or inferred. So, the wild people haven't had the indoctrination that you had, and Charles Galton Darwin said it in his book, The Wild the wild Men Rule. He says, we are the wild men. We, we, know, uh, we, we don't have fall prey to different indoctrinated techniques of uh, moralities, for instance. They do what's practical for, to get things done, regardless of morality and ethics. Today, of course, they, they, they made sure they've got a whole new pretended science called bioethics and ethics management uh, run by the Rockefeller, really spearheaded by the Rockefeller group. And one of the top ones in that area, of course, is just coincidentally is Fauci's wife. Just coincidentally, you know, who should live and who should die and just little things like that. Because no one gets to those positions of Fauci by hard work and abilities. They're picked for their ability to completely do their told and compromise and keep their mouth shut and to obey any order they're given from above regardless of the consequences to the populations. That's why they're picked. And they know it. <laughs> of course they know it. Quite conscious of it all the time. And there's lots of them out there appointed over you. That's the world in which you live, folks. It's vastly different. And they gave you, as I say, the temporary consumerist society that really was meant to take over from the industrial era that you had until your own leaders, as they were told to do, signed away your countries under free trade agreements and giving countries like China and other ones 
special trading nation status, you see. And you support them as they come up and right as they rise up to a higher level. You come down. That's what they said. Rockefeller said this in his own own books at the time or written the ghost written for him. He said the the it says the wealthier countries will come down as they finance the rising of the countries coming up, emerging nations. And there'll be some kind of medium in between where, where they, they try to stabilize them all at the same level. Although you might sink further than the one you're helping. Well, we're, we're way down yonder. We look at China. We're, we're really sunk. We import everything. China doesn't. They make everything. Uh, so there's no balance of trade as such. The balance is like a one-way. It's like we used to call it a seesaw, you know. Uh, it's, it's been weighted down at one end, rigged from the beginning to be that way, and uh, everything goes one way to China, you see. You import it all from China and the Far East. And, of course, now they brought in um, the same agreement that was signed by Obama, and the, or the, the, the starts of the agreement with the Pacific group, uh, nation group and so on, including India. They got that lumped in there too. And we're funding them to come up, but giving them more money for We're building more hospitals for them and, and schools. Same as there was with China recently, you know. And they build them hydroelectric powers and different you know, power plants and things like that. And you do it all as you're going down the tubes, you know, and infrastructure's falling apart. That's the free trade agreement for those who don't understand it. Quite something, eh? And free trade is not free trade. It decides who, who is going to get business to trade and who is not, who will not be given licenses. It's a completely rigged system. But again, that's getting off the topic, basically, because we're... I often talk about things that I, uh, in my daily routine of thinking, <laughs> that, that I realize that most folk really don't know a lot of it. They don't. They, why should you? you again, you're raised in a, you've got a mind that's set in a tribe somewhere, a little clan, a few huts, you know, and relatives, and it hasn't adapted to this con of modern living, you know. It's kind of like the, the, the atomic bomb, and whether Einstein said it or not, probably didn't, because all these famous quotes that you get, John, are made up after the facts or after the people are dead, to make them more famous, you see. Uh, and Einstein supposedly have said that after the atomic bomb, he said, everything's changed except the, 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 the mind and brain of humans, because we still have the same mind of, of battering folk with sticks and stones, and now you have a, 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 the capability to wipe out the species, you know. So whoever wrote it was quite right. Uh, we, was, that's the way it is. But it's the same way with obedience to authorities and so on. And those who design authorities. And even those who want to take over authorities for their own reasons by putting out obedience to authorities. <laughs> but um, you don't realize how the world really is run. And, and how you've been raised by, if your parents were decent parents, then uh, they still wouldn't know to tell you what you're hearing here. The elite don't want a, a population of paranoid people watching them all the day. So they make sure that you think everything's real and honest and decent. The corruption behind governments, even the local is phenomenal. And the clubs that they all belong to and join, uh, you can't get into. Or some, you know, some of the lower ones you could, you know. But uh, if you give an oath to anything, you, you, well, you're just giving allegiance to something, legally, you know. 
and there'll be penalties if you if you try to pull out of it. It's like the brother who did the bell, eh? By Glenn Ford, I think it was Glenn Ford did that one. He paid for it himself, I think, that movie. He set up the Ford Foundation, because he realized there was definitely powers behind everything. The selected people who ended up in universities as professors, and they opened the door and it built you up and brought you into high-profile positions. You, you, the ones who became moguls of industry were all groomed and appointed by the clubs and so on. But there's a price to pay again, because one day you're told, it's like the mafia, which again is brotherhood, eh? the mafia too, that you're, you're, one day, you, when you swear allegiance to them, then you're given a lot of benefits, but one day they'll, they'll, they'll ask to return the favor. And whatever they tell you, you got to do, you better do. And it's the same with uh, the movie Brotherhood and the Bell, and, and um, but they're different allegorical techniques used in the movie. And systems in the movie are very real in society. Very real. And that's how it works with human nature. But you're still living as a tribe, and you're taught to trust everything. And that's why, uh, this is why you're used and abused uh, so tremendously effectively by those who claim that they own you. The wild men, the ones who haven't had the indoctrinations that you have had, the ones who are are not... uh, They've no impediment to do with moral decisions. They've no problems of doing practical techniques to, to achieve their goals, regardless of human cost or whatever. They don't really see you as human. Uh, they see you as a different, a lesser. Actually, it's never changed for hundreds of years, at least from the class systems of aristocracy and abilities of how they saw their own people. And. I think in France, up until the revolution, it was true that there was no penalty against nobility who often got drunk and, and their hunting parties might kill a few peasants in the woods and things like that. There was no penalties you could levy against them because they were the they were beyond arrest or anything, you know, or charge even. England was much the same, really, um, where you could the aristocracy could. And did kill poachers who were starving, who came on the royal lands of the aristocracy and um, and nobility, and would get a rabbit or two and things like that, or, or maybe a deer and share it amongst the people of the village. But they they were they got murdered. They were hung. There's no trial. That was it. You know, all that Magna Carta stuff. Just toss that out the window, because it didn't apply to the most of the people. It was for free people. Serfs were not free. And the bulk of the populace were serfs. So humankind isn't that great at all. And you definitely have had problems down to the present time. Well, the same, the same elite, as I say today, decided that, well, that's it. You wouldn't listen. You just wouldn't listen, would you, to all their warnings. All their, all, when, they, when, they, when they all pledged together to make global warming the issue, to depopulate a good chunk of the planet. You wouldn't listen to them, eh? So here's plan A, B, C, D come into effect. And uh, again, the the practice for years before it all happened with Event 201 and the Rockefeller Event Lockstep and so on within 
and other ones as well, and Cloud X, etc. Over and over again, and they're all vowed with all the media, which is always, because media is just part of the, the propaganda system for governments and the real deep state. That's all they are. That's all they've ever been. Well, they, they churn out lots of stuff on pop stars and rock stars, and well, that's what they do. All, all rubbish, all nonsense, you know. But they aren't going to give you any real news that really that you should really know. Hmm? Definitely not the truth of it. So all the media is on board with the whole agenda, and it's a wartime scenario. That's what they've made it to be, and they're 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 which they. They bring out the same wartime. No gatherings bigger than so and so. That's war, you see. Uh, curfews, you can't, because, you know, the virus, you know, apparently it must be infrared. It can attack more prevalently at night. So I guess you, that's why they want a curfew, eh? Oh, God. What, what rubbish, eh? But again, that, that's what you live in today is mainly rubbish. You're living through incredible agendas that are meant to change society forever. I hope you understand that last part, eh? Forever, huh? Unless you stand up to it and say no. And you can't just stand up to it and say no, you have to do something about it. Because the elite who own the system are changing the system. I've said this from the beginning. This is their revolution that takes over from their last, re- their last revolution. This is the next part of their revolution. You understand that? Same folks. Same folks. You know. The ones who built up power through massive uh, financing uh, abilities and so on. And regulating nations, economies and all. The same folks are now, this is their revolution to the next part of their system. As they pull the plug from underneath you. And keep you going for a while as it is a depopulate, which is which well, it's actually happening already. Uh, when folk can't get medical treatments in the hospital because of this um, COVID, uh, everything shut down pretty well. They're not bringing in people for operations, which can be life saving if you get folk in time even for certain cancers and so on. So they're already writing off people uh, as, as just acceptable losses, you know. And you're accepting it until it's your turn. Because starvation is meant to come out of this too, across the world, starvation. You better believe it. You folk that think that groceries come out of grocery stores, it's, uh, it's really stuff. You better understand what's going on here. And it's plan- it was planned before you even heard of COVID. Oh, you're getting the picture. But part of depopulate, don't you understand? What hmm? part of austerity, don't you understand? Which is at least it's a more polite term for poverty, you know. And they're bringing it down. They're, meanwhile, I'm telling you, this is to go on for years, not just one or two. And I said that at the beginning. This, this, this is it, folks. This is the big one. This is it. The trains that pass me, the heavy doubled up, you know, two carriage high trains for, 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 it's all freight, have been going steadily all summer long. And night too, night and day. Well, since most of the stores are closed, where do you think all this stuff is going? 
This is for years of survival in the big uh, cities and so, the, the underground bases that they got built. And this is no secret, folks. They've had documentaries even in Britain years ago about the underground bases that they've got. Oh, yeah. You can go around the military bases in Canada. And and if you get the ones like Base Borden, you drive around the primers outside of it even, and you'll see these little, it's like the little, um, up, up, it's the umbrella-shaped uh, pipes everywhere. And there's your ventilation systems, like the, the different ships, the same kind of thing. But it's ventilation systems, eh? This like uh, like an, a, a walking stick. That's what it like walking sticks, with the with the handle there. You know the, the kind of semi U type handle. And they're all over the place. And when, when you and you, I remember talking and, and doing talks and talking to the guys who were working and building deeper floors and underneath the base there, putting in plumbing and electricity. And they they're quite, they were quite open about it. And lots and lots of rooms and facilities. This is for. It isn't just continuity of government. It's continuity of everything that government needs, which is military too, you see. Over years and years of crisis. This is, this is how it was done. It's already prepared. It goes back to even Maggie Thatcher. She had her day in, in, in that too. When they had practice runs for it. I kept all the hard copies at the time from newspapers, but that was interesting because they had trial runs for continuity of government in Britain. And uh, it, 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 at least the British press at that time printed it because it wasn't, it wasn't the actual event. It was a practice, a big practice. And they sent off the Harrier jump jets, the military jets that could vertical takeoff for the really high VIPs. If a, it was a sudden crisis, they would go all over the place and pick them up and bring them back to these selected sites, underground bases. And the other ones would be helicopters and so on. And the rest of them had to get, they'd send convoys out through, if they're still open, streets and so on, to bring people in, all the important folk. And um, there are other things too, I won't mention them now, but they, they definitely had other things on the go too. But they, uh, they had special forces there guarding the entrances of these bases, eh? these underground bases. And their orders were to kill anybody else of the populace that wasn't on the list. Just like the movies, these, 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 these catastrophe movies, that thing's real. They actually have lists of people and so on, and then and always bump off all the people who tried to come in and overwhelm them, you know, by surviving themselves. How dare they, the peasants that they are. But there you go, that was on the papers by then, you know. If you mention it today, you'll be conspiracy theorists. It's amazing how they can revive the same ridicules uh, over and over again and then tell you the truth in between. But uh, again, it really doesn't matter because you've never lived in such an age of incredible, massive, authorized propaganda where even most of the medical profession speak out about this whole COVID farce that's going on. And get banned themselves. Like most of them get. This is most of your medical who actually deal with it. Who say, wait a minute, this is not with this. This is nothing like they're telling you. Doesn't matter. This is a wartime scenario. And this is the excuse that they've hit on. 
since you wouldn't listen to the climate thing, you you know, you wouldn't go and volunteer to be sterilised, and you were still buying stuff and consuming stuff, and, ah, dear, dear, how bad can you be, eh? And they gave you all the warnings at the previous conference of parties for the climate summits and so on. And said, they said that the public are not listening to us. They're just not listening to us. Mm. They're still consuming. Some of them even breed, you know. No kidding, eh? Wow. Well, here's their answer to it, folks. This is your crisis part three, and they've tried the other ones before. So COVID, here you go. And and with the, the there's articles that I've at least noticed it too, and I've said, isn't it odd that the the agenda that's coming out from COVID is, is right on in line with the austerity programs for the climate agenda, you know. It's coincidental, though. Sure, it must be. If this virus, virus is out there, it's the most politicized virus that's ever existed. And remember, folks, and it will happen, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Go into the website, make a list of all my other sites too, and the com site. Take the links. So that if, if ever you, you just can't find me, hopefully you can still get me on one of my my sites. And all the official sites are listed there, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. So if you can't get on one, try another one, try another one. Because, I mean, things are, I mean, there's doctors that are working in the hospitals getting banned. They've been banned from, again, social media. The people who are working with patients, for goodness sake. And top virologists getting banned because no one can speak out against the authority, the god, the god of propaganda. There's no debate with the god of propaganda, the strange authorized, unknown ones at the top there under uh, under this this, um, authority. No one can say anything different. uh, We've never seen such a a time in history as this, you know. You have seen it in other wartime scenarios. I mean, a lot of folk didn't want to go to war in World War I and said no. And they were locked up, a lot of them. World War II came along and a lot of folk who had fought in World War I said no, we we don't want this war. And they got locked up. That's what governments do, you know. They, they lock folk up that have different opinions. No different than the Soviet Union, where they'd lock you up if you complain about the state and they class, class you as mentally ill. That way there's no trial, too. You know? As this happens, all it, and your countries are all doing it right now, like never before. Your same countries, they're trying to get you to, to look at China as the enemy now. Because they're doing this and they don't treat the Uyghurs or Uyghurs, Uyghurs in China the same way and so on and, and, and yada 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 and they don't the same, the same rights policies or their great ally Saudi Arabia, how they treat prisoners and things and, and have um, capital punishments and, and here's your government doing so many of the different things they claim other countries do. You see, intolerance. They don't tolerate the people. They don't tolerate different opinion. Well, look at us right now, eh? We're a good chunk of the medical profession that dares to speak out. Because the rest of them all know it, but they're terrified of losing their jobs. Eh? That's a great thing with money, too, isn't it? Folk who get more of it are terrified of losing it. 
because you get kind of used to it after a while, don't you? <laughs> and it's kind of hard to go back to poverty. That's why I've said before, don't buy a house. I said it for years, don't buy a house unless you're willing to walk away from it. Because one day, that's what's going to happen, as they abolish it all, private property. And here it is, all coming down the pike, by the way. So, cunningtwithmatrix.com, send me a few bucks, you see how you donate to me. And you can use PayPal, you can send personal checks, you can, you can send cash. And uh, MoneyGram works. And uh, you don't have to register anything anyway. You say, by the way, if you're sending me anything, even a, a Christmas thing, don't register it. Because the whole thing's up, they're registered. They really do. Oh, it must be important, eh? Because they want to see what they can tax off you. Or tax off me. So just don't do that. And just put down gift. And always under about four, $4 or something, or under 10 bucks. Doesn't matter what it is. Everything, and it doesn't matter, even new things. Now, it's not new once you buy it. You understand that? It's now second hand. <laughs> so you give it to focus gifts. And, uh, and they're telling the honest truth. It's, it's now used, isn't it? So you put down your, what you think is a fair price. A price is only somebody's idea, remember. Huh? That's what it is. So if you send anything at all, just put regular post. Don't use UPS or, or FedEx because they don't deliver here. This is a, un, what they call unorganized township. You know, a little area that's held out for a long time against uh, the big system that always tries to encroach upon it with massive regulations of all kinds. Eh? Although there's no reason why they can't deliver here. Um, the roads go, go around, you know, the side roads and so on. But that's what they do. Because they don't... And again, most of these companies do subcontract to other car couriers, like purely a courier, and they definitely won't deliver. They won't even tell you if something came in for you. They won't notify you. You won't know. And I, I said that last time, I said, I hope you have a great Christmas, because they generally keep Christmas presents to themselves. The ones, they're my experience, you know. They told me that, that they delivered my I had stuff before at Christmas, a pair of socks, I think it was. And I just called, eventually phoned up to see if anything came in from me. So, oh, yeah, some of them I Well, they didn't deliver it, you see. Well, you, somebody signed for it here. I said, well, it wasn't me. It must be one of your own staff. So Merry Christmas. But anyway, that's the corruption of society. But the thing is, corruption of society is from the top to the bottom. Because there's no common morality anymore. And that was actually destroyed by, the consu- partly by the consumer period. You're, you're all taught to be consumers and get, get, get. And... And worship the idols who were stinking rich. That's what they gave you all the bit celebrities, stinking rich. And that's all you heard. And people, and as a generation grew up wanting all that kind of stuff. By a generation, I generally say 20 years, not, not the 70. But 20 years is what it takes them to raise another group, another crop, who are more advanced for the, uh, for the preordained future that they've designed for you, you see. Just like the ones today generally will never touch cash. The thing is uncool, right, to touch cash. And it's, it's cards for everything, or they're, now they're phones. And, and, and everything's the phone. That phone is their, that is their manacle to their masters, and they don't even know it. Without that phone, they can't think, do anything at all. They panic. They, but they think it's all there to help them, eh? Oh, Wow. So as I say, cuttingthroughmates.com, you can buy books or discs or straight donations, it's up to you. And that's how to do it, get the cash to me to help me, help me tick along here, because we are going through the, this is the greatest change, or the beginning of the greatest change, 
that you're, you're going to experience in your life. All the other parts of it are preordained and, and will be implemented in sections over the different periods, like five years plans for this, 10 year plans for that, 15, 20, 50, 75 year plans, etc. All the way through the, the entire century. This is the century of change. This is the century of transition. They called this in academia and the CFR in the last century. They said the coming century, the 21st century, is a century of change. Everything was to be changed. A whole new regulated uniform system. This is it, folks, coming in now. You're living through it. You're in the Great Reset. As the currencies get devalued and devalued and true purchasing power. You'll need more and more currencies to get the same amount of goods, if you can even find them or buy them. And this is what you're living through. And I said at the beginning, nothing is going to go back to you. When you hear the statements coming out of that, the mouth of Fauci, Foxy Fauci there, that things would never go back to normal. He meant it because, you see, this is all pre-planned, folks. And he was in on the, 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 his part of the planning stage, too. Nothing's to go back to normal. Nothing. They've got you wearing, they, they call it diapers for your face, which it is, you know, because your, your mouth is just dirty, dirty, and the air that come out of you is dirty, dirty, so put a diaper on that face. Now, I mentioned last week that China, some, some distance, certain flights, they were, they were putting adult diapers on the, the cabin staff and the pilots and so on. They're said to be more hygienic. I mean, they're starting to plug every orifice in your body here. Do you understand what's going on here? A diaper on your face and a diaper on your rear end. And they're telling the pilots to sit in that, you know, thing, for long flights. I mean, that's truly, that should be their ad for, for their flight company, you know, flying high. Right? Because there's a big experiment to see how... how how far you'll, you'll go for conformity. Hmm? Hmm? It's like that, that, that movie, the, the Experiment, remember? Which was done, actually. It was actually done. It wasn't just the Milgram experiment. They had the one about the, the, the prison and roles, role-playing in, in the prison. It's the created wardens out of volunteers and, and the volunteers they also took prisoners, you see, and they better mock up there, and they, and they watch folk adapt right into their roles very quickly. That there's nothing, nothing. There's absolutely nothing that they haven't tested out before in conformities. This is the Ash test of conformity, of course. I did talks on that many years ago. The Stanford Prison Experiment, and the Milgram experiments, and all the other experiments they did. But you can actually see the movie version of it, the, the experiment as well. And it's worth seeing, I think. Behaviorists and psychologists have been well-funded for such a long, long time to work for the masters that own the world and find, to find ways to manipulate us to be more compliant uh, citizens, you know. Do what we're told and don't think we disobey. And look at us all today. Look at what's happening. The, the folk truly, if they watch TV, cannot fathom. They don't know. They don't know. 
and, and you won't know how bad it is for them because if you've been studying this for years and following this for years, you realize, in a sense, you are, you are a different species from them. What you take for granted and what you know and what you know for take for granted, these folk are completely naive to it all. They don't, they've never even started down that road. And so all they're doing is reacting the way they're supposed to react by those who are managing the whole system into the panic mode, into compliance mode, in the hope that somehow they'll get, they'll get back to some kind of normalcy. It's not going to happen. As they're played as children, or oh, just a few weeks, you know, at the beginning, or, or maybe a, a few weeks more lockdown, or, or maybe, maybe, you know, a little break in the summer and then right back to it. Eh? As though the winter had anything to do with COVID. Because the hottest country, supposedly, just had just the same rates as folk in their middle of winter. So all that's out the window. You understand testing is what, what gives you the COVID. <laughs> fragments, fragments, possible fragments, not even really, but possible fragments of viruses in the PCR tests. Or, that's what's driving, that's why they chose that test and for a particular thing. You, know? you can't fail with that. It'll chew out the, it'll spew out the numbers that you want with false positives all the time. Especially with the cycle rates that have gotten up to the, there were, there are, some of them are getting 40 and 41 cycles. The higher you go, and they even say that 30 is the maximum they should go to. Even then, it gets iffy. It literally amplifies little fragments many times over in the cycles, and then say well, once you get a certain percentage at the end of the cycle, oh, well, that's probably it's probably a good indication there's a virus there. But it's not proof either that there is. That's why they picked that test. That's why these cases have got nothing to do with reality. Look at the, you already had um, a president of a country in Africa tested different, including fruit and motor oil and sent off to a, a lab run by the WHO. And it came, they all came back positive. It's a complete farce. Complete farce. But most folk, again, as I say, they, they, you only realize they, they're not in the mode that you're in, where you're at least educated to a good extent of what's going on. I mean, knowledge is power, you understand. And the folk who are so naive and whose indoctrination worked really, really well haven't even started the journey to wake up or understand that this is uh, the greatest hoax, agenda-driven hoax ever devised. And they probably will never. They'll look upon you as crazy, and, and the media will smear you, and you see, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. How would anybody go to, go to this length to deceive the public? Well, that's exactly why, why they do it. You were deceived before with austerity pacts, right? Under, under the guise of climate change and cutbacks and so on, and stop eating meat, stop doing this, stop, stop that, stop, 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 stop breeding. And it didn't work. They claim, they claim it didn't work fast enough as you're destroying their planet. Hey? So here's their answer to it. They said that at, at last year's meeting, folks, 2019 climate conference. They're not listening. They're, you know, it's come to come a grinding halt. And Trump wouldn't, wouldn't even go along with the climate accord, which made other folks say, well, we're not going along with it either. That was the whole, that was the big thing they were really ticked off about. You see, 
to see if far came out against Trump about it too, and and all all the the the, 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 the ones who claim that they are the establishment, they're only one level of it, but not the highest one either. But they're all against Trump for that for that one. If Trump did anything purposely or not, who cares? The fact is that it became rather obvious then they were just up in arms about it. The World Economic Forum was up in arms about it. They gave speeches there against Trump. Soros was against Trump. He gave a speech at WEF too, and the climate change too. They're all the same people that run all of these big organizations that are all designed to, to, to end up in the same road to bring you on to utter austerity and depopulation, post-consumerist society. And they mean business. So much so, they devised a plan to terrify the planet. Utter terror, a campaign of complete terror. And they won't, they won't stop, folks. They're sworn like any advancing army to, 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 to the death. They're sworn. No one's going to break ranks. No, no way will they break ranks, folks. And they will be utterly vicious against anybody who speaks out. This is a real war. I hope you understand. This is a real war. And you're not looking at some other nation. You're looking at the folk in your own countries that are appointed in your own countries because they don't, they're, they're, they're not there to serve you. And they all know it. But they, they comprise an army. And at this stage, they still need your compliance for it to work. The whole agenda to work. But they'll get rather vicious if they see it falling, you see. And, and that's when tyrants always get vicious, is when they see their plans failing or even being challenged. They'll, they'll get utterly vicious and they'll make some examples hoping to terrify everybody. It's just a, a war of terror, planned, deliberated, and applied to the public of every country. A global war of terror upon the public's. That's what it is. Designed to totally crash every economy because you're supposed to go into dire austerity in a post-consumerist society, in a post-industrial society. Subsistence survival is what they're, they plan to bring in. For you, they really mean it. For no government in the planet has ever applied these strategies in history to the populations. Never, even in times of previous wars, crashing everybody's economy by order from the top. Never happened before. This is it, folks. As I say, with these incredible heavy trains that go every 20 minutes or so past me. Like never, it never happened before the before COVID. Didn't it has to happen for years, this kind, this kind of commerce, or trains going by with freight. The stuff they're storing up is for years and years and years. Maybe a whole gen, maybe a, a real full generation, like three score and ten or more. Really, I'm quite serious about it. 
even before the 2007-8 crash, there was never, never this kind, this kind of freight commerce going by here. No. And since most of the small businesses, which, and most businesses in, in country of Canada and the States are small businesses, remember, wiped out. All the small, smaller stores, grocery stores, wiped out by order of the state. So this isn't just food that's going back and forth. What is it? And, but it's definitely not going. It's not going to Walmart, folks. Not this this kind of commerce. No way. This is for long term storage. Long term. No doubt about it. So this is the big one. They've been waiting for for years. Now I'm going to mention here. An article I've touched on before is called The Dangerous Myth of Overpopulation. This is from 2010, this article, about Michael Schneider. It says, today there's a growing belief that many of the world's problems are directly related to overpopulation. Whether it is world hunger, the lack of fresh water, the damage we're causing the environment, or climate change, those who believe in the myth of overpopulation have no hesitation blaming all of those problems on the fact that there are way too many people in the world. What's even more frightening are the solutions that many of those people who believe that the world is overpopulated are proposing. The solutions they propose include more abortion and family planning services, one-child policies, and mass sterilizations. In fact, there are even some of the radical environmental movement that insists that we need to get rid of 80 to 90 percent of humanity in order to save the environment. Now this this mantra goes down through time with them, with these characters who run the world, eh? And they've always used different guises to do, even after World War One, remember. People like H. G. Wells, who was a propagandist for the big deep state, you might say, the deep state. He uh, he, uh, he said that uh, the people haven't given up enough of their even though with the mass killing and all the rest of it the people hadn't given up uh, the, the idea of sovereignty so we need another war he said and, and and the whole idea was that the war they had in World War One was going to war really like last man standing that's how the war by attrition they called it attrition war. Uh, that whoever had the most guys left standing at the end would win it. That's how it was really based on pretty well. And he said, well, Bill hadn't given up the idea idea of sovereignty. They didn't kill enough people, in other words, so need another war. This is is what they do, you know? This is what they really, really do. It's astonishing that folk don't know this. And and you should, you'd you'd hope that people would know the basic stuff of what happened in fairly, in the last hundred years at least, eh? because it's it's so important to understand what's been going on here. And what you're living through today is just a continuation of the same policy, really the same agenda, same plans. And you always find the same theme, that we need world government run by the right kind of people, right? And we all, again, Wells' idea was a scientific elite running the world, because he worked for the bosses, you see. A scientific kind of dictatorship, and also a technocratic system where they wouldn't have democracy. It's just too inefficient. And that mantra comes right down to the present day and the Club of Rome, the ones who came up with the idea of blaming too many people, causing climate change, which would bring on drought and famine. 
etc. And that would fit the bill they said that, that humankind was there for the or mankind was there for the problem. That would fit the bill to push upon the public. And that's all you've heard ever since then. There's that very, very mantra that too many people, you know, are consuming and destroying the world, yada, 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 and causing climate change. And and now they've just jumped right into COVID. That was the next part of the plan. And getting it done even quicker. Crashed the economy totally. That's the end of your commercial consumer society. <laughs> done in one swoop, and that's it. So uh, there you go. Anyway, back to this article. And this article has some uh, bits that could be improved, but actually said that even the UN, the United Nations, has fully bought into the myths of overpopulation. Well, the, the UN was never for the people. It was not democratic either. It was it was created by the, the same group that created the Ron Street for International Affairs, the Alfred Milner Group, out of the League of Nations, which they created too. The same group that gave you the World Bank. They created that. They, get, they also created the IMF. And they created the Bank for International Settlements. Everything it runs today is, a, is privately owned by the same clique. And they are a clique. Anyway, it says in this article here that, uh, and what they mentioned, the guy mentions to say the, the UN, but the UN is not, it's completely bought and paid for by and owned by the same group that runs everything else. Completely, absolutely. And then they mentioned the UNFPA. Uh, released its annual statement, it must have been 2009, uh, of the World Population Report entitled Facing a Changing World Women, Population and Climate. And it says this report went further than any UN report ever has ever gone in linking climate change with overpopulation. See, that's how they, that's been the mantra for years. According to the report, the only way to avoid a massive climate disaster is to dramatically increase family planning, meaning abortion, serves around the globe, and to do whatever it takes to reduce worldwide, worldwide, no, listen, to do whatever it takes to reduce worldwide fertility rates, whatever it takes. You getting it? In a statement accompanying the recent report, UNFPA Executive Director Terea Obayad stated that rapid population growth and industrialization have led to a rapid rise in greenhouse gas emissions. We have now reached a point where humanity is approaching the brink of disaster. Terror, terror, disaster, disaster, terror, terror, terror. And it says here, it says, well, the truth is that the, the folks managing the globalist organizations like the UNFPA are absolutely convinced that climate change will bring about the end of the world as we know it unless we take urgent action. And he goes on to talk about the, the coming climate change disaster and stuff like that. You know? And it's the number one factor to climate change is overpopulation and the importance of the speed and magnitude of recent population growth in boosting future greenhouse gas emissions is well recognized among scientists, including the authors of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's report, that's IPCC, the United Nations. And it says, no human is generally carbon neutral, especially when all greenhouse gases are figured into the equation, yada, yada, yada. You've heard the mantra for years. You're so sick of it, I'm sure. But don't forget the Department for Population as they call it in the United Nations, used to be called population control, not just the, the Department of Population. And that was set up by Rockefeller himself. He funded it and paid for it all. Yeah. 
And and it goes on to say here, not only that, but Barack Obama's top science advisor, remember this is 10 years old, this article, John P. Holdren actually co-authored a book in 1977, this is true, which he advocated mass sterilizations using the food and water supply, mandatory bodily implants that would prevent couples from having children, forced abortions for American couples trying to have too many children, and a global police force to enforce population control. This is true, folks. The following is just one of the incredibly shocking quotes in Holdren's book. And um, it says, A program of sterilizing women after their second or third child, despite the relatively greater difficulty of the operation and vasectomy, might be easier to implement than trying to sterilize men. The development of long-term sterilization capsule that could be implanted under the skin and removed when pregnancy is desired opens additional possibilities for coercive fertility control. The capsule could be implanted at puberty and might be removable with official permission for a limited number of births. You understand what kind of society he's talking about here? Official permission and so on, right? And he was the top advisor for Barack Obama. I could go on and on about other things that Obama was involved in too. But uh, this is uh, factual stuff, stuff, you know, I'm I'm talking about here. And um, yeah, Holdren actually was part of the co author of the book here. And uh, I I know that uh, Holdren worked with Paul Ehrlich as well, who did the population time bomb and so on. So you understand, this is, this is this isn't just suddenly started. It's been going on for years until the folk got so used to hearing it they ignored it, and that's exactly what they're talking about at the top. The people are just not listening," said the IPCC last year. And bingo, you get COVID. Eh? But also here, you, you, you take this. That was ten years ago. That article. Now here's something just from from last year. Eh? And it's called Democracies Under Stress, Recreating the Trilateral Commission to Revitalize Our Democracies to Uphold the Rules-Based International Order. And it says the drive towards deeper integration and greater globalization seemed irreversible until just a few years ago. Now, you take in sections for folk who have a hard time, who really are not used to, to really thinking too deeply, you know. And most folk aren't today with a with a massive onslaught of just data getting thrown at them. They, they kind of tune out to most things. They don't read. Most folk don't read today. They really don't. Everything's pictures, you know. But uh, they hear their talk. This is the Trilateral Commission. This is the big organization of technocracy. The ones they appoint them towards head positions across the planet, including running nations. But when anything happens to your prime ministers, and remember the, the the organization of central banking systems, right, all connected together across Europe and elsewhere, the uh, they actually appointed a couple of their members who were trilateral members. One of them was appointed to run Greece at one point, and one was appointed to, to run Italy in place of a prime minister for a period. This is this is the future. They they brought it in already, and. and done it without any blowback from the public, who really don't understand what's going on most of the time. So here's a, here's a trilateral commission that, that was designed and, and to break out, out of the Council on Foreign Relations, you know, uh, a, a higher department, you might say, of, of the real doers, the ones who do things and get it done 
regardless of democracies and so on. Uh, this, this is their own publication I'm, looking, I'm reading it from. So it says, The drive towards deeper integration with greater globalization seemed irreversible until just a few years ago. Irreversible from, well, who was pushing it? Well, they were pushing it. The, the deep state was pushing it for years. Global government, globalization. See? Yet in recent times, unintended consequences of these trends from inequality to cultural alienation, have fueled new forms of discontent spurring a rise in populism. Now, populism is a new term they're using, really, for nationalism, where countries are so sick, like the EU, of being plundered with their tax money and so on, that they never see the benefits from it. It just disappears, billions of bucks. It's utterly corrupt. And, and so they want their own country. It's all, I mean, the whole idea is to run what's in your area even. That's the whole idea of, of, of having elected representatives. Forget parties. The, the party's a con system. It's a club run by the big elites. But you're supposed to elect someone that represents you and your people and your area and, and the concerns of your area, financial and otherwise, you know. That's long gone, that. And the same with, with with countries. If you can't drive or get to the person in charge to, to talk to them face to face, then what's the point in having them halfway across the planet? It's too remote, and, and you know it's just not concrete enough. Obviously, it's inefficient too. It's easy for them too to spurn the country. There's pain for all if, if they're over the water somewhere, and just ignore you. So anyway, here they are decrying the fact of folk getting ticked off with, with this idea of living under a global governance system, which they didn't want, except that the democracies, but the Trilateral Commission, I should say, wants it for sure. That's part of their purpose, right? And they have lots of articles on it by themselves, on the kind of system they want to bring in, by the way. But it says here, so they, yeah, populism and nationalism. No, why do you think? Why do you think the EU is still on hold? It hasn't happened with Boris getting put in. His articles this week. Oh, we, we can't just quite get there yet for to separate from the EU. You know, well, see, the deep state created the EU, the European Union. The deep state created what was the, the NAFTA agreement that actually set all the articles, which I still have. They said this was for uh, this is to unite the whole of the Americas and the Caribbean into one block. That's what they had in the beginning, folks. So anyway, they're, they're ticked off. They haven't got what they want, so they give you, you know, you know what, COVID. Right? Anyway, this article then goes on to to talk about. So, although the headlines differ, there's a remarkable commonality in the stresses bearing down on the. Democracies of North America, Asia, and Europe, social, economic, and technological pressure, be the rising inequality, shifting demographics, or the changing nature of work, leading many to question whether democracy is still working for them. Social media, and it is in here, social media is transforming and degrading politics by reinforcing bias, spreading falsehoods. This is, this is, you know, this is last year, you see, this is, where are you getting your fake news from now? Well, you see, they were all prepared for your fake news. Fake news is just any any opinion they don't agree with, you know, which is anything outside themselves. So here's the Trilateral Commission complaining about it. But what do you did you vote for the Trilateral Commission? This private club, did you? Or the CFR, the private clubs? No, of course you don't. They hear they are running your lives, folks, and complaining, eh? You know? 
But it says, uh, so because they're not getting their way, their, their, their whole agenda, I guess, globalization, end of nation state and depopulation, yada, yada, yada. So, so social media is transforming and degrading. So it's your fault that the politics is, de- nothing to do with the degraded polit- politicians. <laughs> no, it's your degrading politics by reinforcing bias, spreading falsehoods and segmenting people into more insulated groups. Outsiders have capitalized on these developments to interfere in how these democracies function and always blaming somebody else and meet the needs of their citizens. All this occurring at a time when Beijing in particular is offering the world what many sees as a viable alternative to democracy. Hmm. If of these adva- Don't forget Trilateral Commission helped create modern China. The group's behind it. Rockefeller praised China. But even though it had slaughtered millions of its own people, praised it for being so efficient, you know. Anyway, says the fear of, and don't forget he was head of this group for a while, and the CFR at one point too. The fear of these advanced democracies has major consequences for the ability of the world to tackle pressing global problems in the security, economic, and political realms. Yada, 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 yeah. And then they go into internal divisions and so on and so on and and how people start to turn inwards and nations start to turn inwards as we talk about the rising populism and nationalism. Eh? So the rising to the challenge, he says, uh, of how to manage this this oh, this awful idea of having your own nation again. Eh? Oh, dear, dear, dear. So they're, they're rising to the challenge to fight that and to make sure they get their agenda through. And there's a picture of... They've got Kissinger there and, you know, Gorbachev, you know, when Gorbachev was the head of the Russian, Soviet-Russian group, you know, and they hear they are shaking hands and when they used to be all happy for the merger that was coming of the whole planet, you know. So this democratic renewal will require new voices and thinking from all segments of these societies where there's been a dramatic malaise in past decades, this historical Juncture is unique. Unlike at other times, many of these governments of the advanced democracies, the original architects of the international system, and underpinning decades of relative peace and prosperity. <laughs> yeah, we have only heard that. They're no longer the best safeguards of their own democratic workings, nor ardent advocates of the ability of democracies to tackle global ills collectively. The Trilateral Commission is well poised to play a vital role in this revitalization effort and seeks to once again become an analytical home for assessing the stresses on the advanced democracies, offering solutions for dealing with them and catalyzing cooperation amongst these countries on global economic, political and security matters. While the democracy space has grown crowded in recent years, Trilateral Commission has several distinctive advantages in, his, in this work. Then they go through some of it to how they were. They've got a historical legacy and uh, how they were involved in really pushing globalism. Eh? The committee's original idea to, to bring Japan initially into the umbrella of democracies, that was one of the first ones they said, was controversial, yada yeah, and then uh, beleaguered global trading order in the wake of President Nixon's withdrawal from the the gold standard and the Bretton Woods Agreement. So they were heavily involved in all that kind of stuff, and then the whole Vietnam era, etc., etc. 
So you got to understand what they're all up to, these, these organizations, and what they, what they, where they came from, what they're up to, etc. But yeah, they're, they're pushing it all there. Democracy's under stress. I'll put the link up for that one. And then you go into this article here, and it says, this is an archive, it was the New York Times, from 1990. Again, we're getting back to this whole idea of the, the, the onslaught of terror and fear. Until youngsters were committing suicide, by the way. Oh, the world's going to be this one big desert, you know, climate change, global warming and drought and famine. The Club of Rome keep on and about. We're all going to die. Terrible. There's no future, so what's the point going on? And couples were killing themselves. You see it in newspapers, eh? Children have nightmares about it. Anyway, it says here, New York Times, to skeptics on global warming. And it's by Al Gore Jr., eh? Al Gore, eh? The Gory man. The, the guy who also set up the carbon exchange with his pal. And... <laughs> Their company was called Blood and Gore. I'm not kidding you, eh? You can't make this stuff up. It's, like, it's really out of horror movies, isn't it? The, the characters that are involved. So this is, again, from 1990 and New York Times. When environmental and financial experts from around the world gathered in Washington this week for a White House-sponsored conference on global warming, they expected a serious discussion. Instead, they were surprised and angered to hear President Bush wholeheartedly endorse Delay and inaction. Global climate change is real. And just take that the COVID, COVID is real. Do you understand? This is the same back then. We're saying, wait a minute here. We've lived long enough. We, I know in my lifetime that it's not warming. I remember last year, the year before, and so and so and so and so. No, no, no. It's the same thing, though. It's a great thing. Most folk don't remember very much, but even five years ago. So it's easy to tear. Oh, you know, you know, five years ago, there were people were melting in the streets in the summer. They'd end up being a puddle on the road. Yeah, right in front of you. So it's the same kind of thing with uh, just one to the other. You see, now it's better. They've got a little minute thing that no one can see, and say it's the biggest killer on the planet. Pretty good, eh? Anyway, global climate change is real. Eh? This is all go. It's the single most serious manifestation of a larger problem, the collision course between industrial civilization, are you getting it? Industrial civilization, and the ecological system that supports life as we know it. So there you are, you see? The purpose of Earth Day is to alert people around the world to that impending collision, and yet the Bush administration, according to elite memo, is advising its policymakers uh, that a better approach is to raise the many uncertainties and argue with other skeptics that nothing should be done until unresolved questions are definitely answered. That's a Papa Bush, I guess. What are the skeptics' questions? Here are several of the most prominent. None, none of them stands up under scrutiny. This is question. Aren't the dire predictions about global warming based on unreliable computer models, just like COVID and so on? Eh? Remember Neil Ferguson? Eh? How many folk would die? He had the same kind of computer. How do we know that there is any correlation between increased levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and changes in temperature? And the answer is the most compelling evidence comes from careful studies of tiny air bubbles in Antarctic ice. These show that it's actually happened to the Earth's climate during the last 160,000 years. As illustrated by the accompanying graph, carbon dioxide and temperature have gone up and down in lockstep, that word again, as far back as scientists can measure. 
And through the last two ice ages in the period of, of great warming in between, levels of carbon dioxide have fluctuated between 200 and 300 parts per million. Even the skeptics agree that concentrations of carbon dioxide will be pushed to levels of 600 parts per million within the next 35 to 45 years. They always give you these futures to get you to do, do things now on something that, that might happen, you know, 50 years down the road. It's, it's a really clever con, that one, isn't it? So anyway, this article was, goes through it, what was published back then, when they tried to terrify you, we're all going to melt and all going to die because of global warming, and they, they wanted a carbon tax, which one that went through his exchanges, as it's to say, uh, and they make big, big profits off it too, eh? Meanwhile, I remember reading articles on the air at the time, when I was on the air, it was an article about how much money um, how it cost to heat his other houses and so on, or on all the time, full-time Al Gore's houses, you know, his private houses and stuff. And then Prince Charles was in the act as well, big time. And uh, and then it came out that uh, a big military jet was uh, paid money or, or was sponsored or whatever, or, to, or used uh, a massive jet anyway, a transport jet, to, to take his Rolls Royces and his different favourite cars with him to all the meetings across the world for climate change. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's how you do it, folks, eh? I tell you, so I'll put these ones up too. Eh? So that's Al Gore one, the last one, and then this one: Who owns the environmentalist movement? Far from a grassroots movement, environmentalism is a big business funded and directed by the leading families of the U.S. and European establishments. And this was adapted from Chapter Ten of the Holes in the Ozone Scare: The Scientific Evidence That the Sky Isn't Falling, published in June 1992. By 21st century and now in its second printing. So, 25 years ago, okay, those who believe that Mother Nature comes first and humankind second were part of an insignificant fringe considered radical by most Americans. And this is 1992, right? These environmentalists were visible most at the level of the anti nuclear street demonstration. That's when you used to see them where the marijuana smoke wafted round back to nature posters on display. Today, however, what used to be extremist environmentalist ideology has become mainstream, permeating American institutions at every level from corporate boardrooms to the Federal Reserve, the Congress, the White House, the churches, homes and schools. And it is because, you see, there's unconventional warfare. They actually have all that in their unconventional warfare. The military, Department of Defense, eh? how going to nations and you find disaffected groups, you fund them, and then bring them on, on board with you, and actually use them to, to bring down the system that you've got your military in, to replace it with your own ideology. This is all strategies, eh? It says, official lore from the, from the environmental movement's publication asserts that the movement emerges, emerges from the grassroots. The truth, however, is that the funding and policy lines comes from the most prestigious institutions of the Eastern Liberal Establishment, centered around uh, the New York Council on Foreign Relations, and including the Trilateral Commission, the Aspen Institute, and a host of private family foundations. This network of foundations created environmentalism, moving from a radical fringe movement into a mass movement to support the institutionalization of anti-science, no-growth policies at all levels of government and public life. Maurice Strong, member too, who also was picked up and groomed by Rockefeller and put into public life by him, is a big front man as well. 
But he, he said that, that, that they wanted to complete, would have to completely dismantle uh, American industry into pre-industrial levels. Well, you're looking at going back into the days of uh, the founding of America pretty well. Subsistence living, eh? for most of Oh, you're getting that. I mean, oh, you understand what they're talking about at times, eh? And you remember, too, that these organizations, Aspen Institute, these are big fronts, big, big, big think tanks as well for the, the, what's called the deep state. You're getting the, the picture here. You don't vote for any of these characters, but they run your, your systems. They own it. Well, the masters they serve certainly own it, I should put it that way. And that talks about uh, the movement is fundamentally a green pagan religion and its outlook, its outlook. And remember what Gorbachev said, too, right? Gorbachev said uh, when he, 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 he was leaving the, the Soviet Union, he said that we must, he says, I am an atheist, in one of his books, I am an atheist. So it's supposed to be a question and answer to school children. And he says, he says, so he said that in the book. However, later on in the same book he said, we must create a religion, a form of earth worship to save the world, you know, for sustainability, a form of earth worship. Well, that's been taught to the children. They, they're literally already kneeled to the earth and the whole thing, you know. Nothing happens by chance. That's, that's what I'm showing you. Everything is designed. It's promoted. It's directed. It's implemented. That's a lot of work, you know, to make it all happen. And you, But it's presented to the public as some kind of spontaneous, every part of it, you know? So the talks here about the concern of foreign relations, Eastern establishments, the network of foundations created uh, environmentalism, moving it from the radical fringe movement into a mass movement to support the institutionalization of anti-science, no-growth policies. Right? And it says, the, the vast wealth of the environmentalist groups may come as a shock to most readers who believe that these groups are made up of public interest, non-profit organizations that are making great sacrifices to save the earth from a looming doomsday caused by man's activity. In fact, the environmental movement is one of the most powerful and lucrative businesses in the world today. Funding from the foundations. There's several thousand groups in the United States today. Several thousand, right? This is then. This is an old article. And saving the earth. Although all share a common philosophy, these groups are of four general types. Those concerned respectively with environmental problems, population control, animal rights, and land trusts. Most of these groups are very secretive about their finances. But there's enough evidence on the public record to determine what they're up to. Table 1 lists the annual revenues of a sampling of 30 environmental groups. These few groups alone had revenues of more than $1.17 billion in 1990. You think they're all just grassroots? Eh? This list must be emphasized. By no means include all of these environmental businesses. They call them enviro businesses. It's estimated that there are more than 3,000 so-called non-profit environmental groups in the U U.S. today, and most of them take up more than a million dollars a year. Hmm, that's what they take in. The Global Tomorrow Coalition, for example, is made up of 110 environmental and population control groups, few of which have revenues less than $3 million per year, and land holdings of more than 6 million acres. There's a lot of land, eh? 
worth billions of dollars, is just the best known of more than 900 land trusts now operating in the U.S. The Global Tomorrow Coalition. Six million acres. That was then. And uh, Table 2 lists the grants of 35 foundations to two heavily funded and powerful environmental groups, the Environmental Defense Fund and the Natural Resources Defense Council for the year 1988. 1988. The data available from public sources show that the total revenue of the environmentalist movement are more than $8.5 billion per year. If the revenues of law firms involved in environmental litigation and of university environment programs were added on, this figure would easily double to more than $16 billion a year. This point is emphasized in Table 3, which lists the top 15 environmental groups receiving grants for environmental lawsuits and protection and education programs. See, it's infiltrate the law system and so on. Once you get a law in the books, you can then go after so many different people under new ridiculous laws like some little... I mean, the, whole, all, the whole joke was a true joke, actually a, true, a truism, that uh, people were getting banned and literally kicked off the land that they'd had for generations. If they found some um, particular type of little frog that was, they claimed, some environments would claim as disappearing. That's all, all you had to was a claim or a particular owl or something. You'd have to prove it. If to, just, just a statement, just the accusation was enough to get to, for the environmental groups to get support from the the environmental groups that were the environmental police of the U.S. and they've come in and kick you off your land. They had documentaries about that years ago, folk losing their lands of these claims. And then the environmental groups would take over the land. They get it for nothing, pretty well given to them by the state or by the law organizations that won the cases, and they'd end up owning the land. Incredible corruption here. And uh, and again, too, don't forget, too, the big foundations, the real deep state, you know, is the foundations and the massive bureaucracies that run them. They have bureaucracies like the size of governments, bureaucracies and civil servants, some of these massive, massive foundations. Eh? And they fund the different groups of so-called environmental groups and justice causes and so on by millions of dollars a year, you know. So I'll put this one too, but the, the but uh, who owns it? Up's a longer article. With, it goes into different ones and the money they get, and and how the Envi- environmental protection agency uh, works with them, right? And cost the U.S. economy 131 billion today. That's that's years ago, right? That's what it cost them then, using the the, the environmental protection agency. <laughs> It says the figure will have risen to more than three hundred billion a year by the year two thousand. Well, it's probably more than that. It was more than that, and here we are in two thousand and twenty. And they get funding from the U.S. government to do it all too. Just astonishing. Your government's got nothing to do with helping you folks. Nothing at all. Another article here too is. Um, let me see, uh, Prince Charles. Uh, now, Prince Charles, he says, he's at it again. Eh? This is 2019. He says, issues a new 18-month climate tipping point after previous 100-month deadline expires. See? 
So there you go. I mean, he, he's, he's done this on and off he's over years, eh? You're all going to die if you don't, what, 90 days to fix it, blah, 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 this kind of stuff. So this was 2019, a year ago. Everything happens a year ago. It's very awfully important to understand what happened a year ago. You had the, you had the climate agreement uh, group in discord about it all because Trump wasn't backing them. And they said they'd have to do something more drastic to get their agenda through. Right? Well, COVID came along. Then last year again, Charles is at again. It's new 18-month climate tipping point after previous 100-month deadline expires. So he warned global leaders that if we don't tackle climate change in 18 months, the human race will go extinct. In a, in a, he said in a speech in London yesterday to foreign ministers from the Commonwealth, I'm firmly of the view that the next 18 months will decide our ability to keep climate change to survivable levels and to restore nature to the equilibrium we need for our survival, Prince Charles said. Then it's got a flashback. 2015, Prince Charles gives world reprieve, extends 100-month climate, tipping point to 35 more years. <laughs> that was then to 2015. Well, how come he's back to 18 months again? So uh, he was never good at school, mind you. He was pretty pathetic. Uh, but it says, anyway, it says, the Prince of Wales warned the global leaders that if we don't tackle climate change in 18 months, the human race will go extinct. No, really, he says, here are his actual words in a speech in London yesterday to foreign ministers from the Commonwealth. He says, I am firmly of the view that the next 18 months will decide our ability to keep climate change to survivable levels and to restore nature to the equilibrium we need for our survival. And then it goes back to 2015 with his speech then, you know, 100-month climate change to 35 more years. And it says, so on July the 18th, 2015, it says that the world has just just 35 years to save the planet, right? And 2015, UK Western Morning News interviews with Charles revealed that His Royal Highness warns that we have just 35 years left, eh? So it keeps giving you flashbacks and so on. Flashback, Earth serially doomed United Nations issues new 15-year climate trip tipping point, but the UN issued tipping points in 1982 and another 10-year tipping point in 1989. I mean, see, we, we should have been all gone long ago, over and over, many times, but it never happened, eh? But that, don't let facts get in the way here with a, an agenda, eh? The upcoming skeptical climate documentary called Climate Hustle what came out will feature Prince Charles' exclusive monthly tipping point countdown. For a while, Prince Charles diligently kept his monthly climate countdown, it says. There's been no doubt that unless greenhouse gas emissions reach their peak within about 100 months, just 100 months, it may well be too late to stop temperatures rising beyond dangerous levels, Charles originally declared in 2009. There you go, and he stuck to his tipping point timeline. In 2015, Prince Charles seemed to lose hope. We're running out of time. How many times have I found myself saying this over recent years? Yeah. So these tipping points, as they call them, climate tipping points, have been the staple of the global warming movement for decades. And it gives you other flashbacks. Gordon Brown at the UK mentioning it too. Only 50 days to save the world, he said in 2009. <sighs> And um, 2009, NASA's James Hansen, he's famous for it, declared Obama, was, Obama only 
first term to save. He's, he's only got one term to save the planet. And Hanson declared Obama only has four years left to save the, the Earth or flashback to, or to 2009. Five years to save the world, to keep changing it. As I said, they've all had their... Again, this, this Hanson, too, is quite a fanatic. He's a real, like, eco-warrior. He used to lead groups down to destroy power plants and things like that. <laughs> and he was employed by NASA. Yeah. In 1982... Mustafa Tolba, executive director of the UN Environmental Programme, that's the UNEP, warned in May 11, 1982, the world faces an ecological disaster as final as nuclear war within a couple of decades unless governments act now. In 2010, flashback, 1,000 years delay, green guru James Lovelock, climate change may not happen as fast as we thought, and we may have a 1,000 years to sort it out. <laughs> Right. And the flashback 2007. New Zealand scientist in 2007 says, On global warming, it's all going to be a joke in five years. So I'll put these articles up for those who don't realize you've been terrorized most of your life, especially the youngsters growing up. They got, they got this, taught this in school. You're all going to die. You're all going to die. Yeah, people are bad. Too many people. And you had, and you'll see them in the streets, you know, the Extinction Rebellion, all the rest of it, all come, all funded at the top. The leaders are always funded. It's the followers are the, the terrorized, uh, uh, useful, useful people. I won't call them idiots because they're not idiots. They're just brainwashed and, and used, obviously. That's how bad it is, eh? It's quite something. Um, it really is quite something, isn't it? Then you have this one here, too. And it's the Prince of Wales warned global leaders they have 18 critical months to solve climate change and restore the balance of nature, ensuring the survival of the human race. I'll put that one up as well. In a speech during a reception at Clarence House, the Prince said, Ladies and gentlemen, I firmly have the view that the next 18 months will decide our ability to keep climate change to survival levels and to restore nature to the equilibrium we need for our survival. Well, there you are. I wonder who wrote that for him, too. Just 96 months to save the world, says Prince Charles from the Independent. Yep, there you go. See, it's just on and on and on and on. Yeah, year after year, sometimes 10 years ago, you're going to die next year, but it doesn't happen. And, you know, terror, terror, terror. But the youngsters got terrorized. Remember reading articles where they were committing suicide, some of them. And, and utter despair, there's no future. That's what they're really, they're really in, it's so intense in school, the indoctrination of this, very, very visual. They can, they can actually see in their mind this, this desert, this world of a desert of dead and oh, horrible. Eh? There you go. And then another article, five ways we know that Al Gore's been running a global warming racket. Uh, ten years ago, Al Gore said we'd only a decade left to save the planet from global warming, but Earth has been doing just fine. Why do we listen to this man? While preening at the Sundance Film Festival January 2006, during the premiere of his in- Inconvenient Truth fib documentary, it says, Gore made his grand declaration that the former vice president said, in the words of AP reporter taking down his story, that unless drastic measures to reduce greenhouse gases are taken within the next 10 years, the world will reach a point of no return, he says. A planetary emergency. Yeah. 
Ten years later, he's probably hoping that everyone has forgotten about his categorical statements. The terrible truth for Gore is there's been no planetary emergency. Not one of the dire predictions he and the rest of the alarmist community made has come to pass. In fact, there's plenty of evidence that he's been running a racket, and here's how we know, and then they go into it. Um, Once the Earth hasn't warmed in nearly 20 years, and he goes through different records and fight fact with what they claim is fact and so on. Climate change, 12 years to save the planet, make that 18 months. BBC, oh my goodness, say 2019, see? This is all last year, eh? You see? They they were furious at the climate change meetings that they had because the US wasn't going to back them and finance it and so on. I mean, the whole agenda for depopulation and austerity and a post-consumer society all hinged on, on this, this big con, you know, climate change. And they keep going on. So this, pre- this article in the BBC is the same thing, all going to cut the carbon by 2030 and all that by 45%. But today observers recognise the decisive political steps to enable the cuts in the carbon to take place will have to happen before the end of the next year. <gasps> oh my God, if you come cut it by 45%, well, that's getting you off your cars and that. Well, don't worry about them soon too when you can't get gas because of COVID. <laughs> Uh, it's all coming down the pike, eh? Deliver significant results now the UN General Assembly President calls COP25 Climate Conference. <sighs> yeah, get it done now, he says here, eh? There you go, 2019 again. It's imperative that the COP25 Climate Conference is underway in Spain. Deliver significant results now to Jana Mohamed Bande, President of the UN General Assembly, said Tuesday. So there you go. And he said that the, the, the consensus reached through the Paris Agreement to limit the rise of temperature to 2 centigrade above pre-industrial levels and efforts to hold to 1.5 centigrade. It's absolutely nonsense. Again, it's the same thing as COVID with the figures and stuff. They dish out there. It really is. They keep, you can knock them apart so quickly. And this article here, too, is the future shape of things. Eh? Hmm. Before I read the future shape of things, I should really mention again, Cutting through the matrix.com, right? You can buy the books and discs or just send the donations and list all my official sites in case I get knocked off anywhere where you're seeing me. And um, hopefully, you can still get the talks then, you know, on Sunday nights. And I think I'm, I'm on BitChute as well, so, and uh, you can get me some, maybe on YouTube. But things are changing fast because uh, you can't speak out against pretty well anything now that's mandated as an imperative at the top. Uh, they're really going after people now. There's no, there's only one authority now, one truth authority on every every topic. <laughs> that's it from the very top. This is an incredible tyranny. You know, it's it's actually, I think it's a step beyond the old Soviet system, especially when when they're using all electronic media and massive cyber warfare against everybody. I can have timeouts on satellite speed uh, just looking up newspaper articles, just the articles. No, that's how bad it is. Yeah, they're really hammering you, you know. As I said, they're, they're, they actually admit they're doing it. They've let loose, the articles from a few weeks ago, they've let loose the cyber warfare departments of the military upon the public now in Canada, Britain, and elsewhere who speak out against the, 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 the official lines. 
on certain topics. So cuttingthroughmidges.com, remember I said a few bucks my way. It really helps because I've got different sites to, up, to keep up and cost cash and so on. I want to upgrade things as well because uh, my stuff is old, my equipment. And I want to keep going through this because this is the big one. This is the, this is the, this is the big war of your lives, folks. And, it, and more so than any previous war, this is completely change your life for good. You're not to go come, come out of a war and go back to industry or working. No, this war is the war upon you. That's, that's, and the establishment that runs your, your nations, you can't complain to them because they're the ones doing it, folks. This is pretty unique as well. The coup was long, 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 long ago. And I've said before, you don't realize that you get the same, in the U.S. especially, you get the election and uh, propaganda coming out. When it's election time, you see the, the flag gets wrapped around every candidate and the songs are sung. Are tradition. You don't realize that you're 180 degrees in your views and opinions and politics than you were years ago because it's the same marching songs and everything. It's, it's all symbolic, you see. And it fools you to what you're really watching. What did it stand for these days, you know? 180 degrees around. Even the morality and culture, too, is 180 degrees around as well. They don't really, you've adapted into it so, so smoothly, you don't even notice it. So you're, yeah, this, this war is going to change everything. And they want to bring you into a pre-industrial society. Are you getting the picture? You won't have the energy. I mean, energy for electricity and so on in, in a pre-industrial era, folks, you know. They mean what they say. They say that the target of making you healthy is, is energy of all kinds. So they're going to reduce it and to almost make it extinct in some areas. You're starting to get, they mean what they say, folks. Bill Gates, the eugenicist, and his father, eugenicist, oh, gener- and I loved how Bill Gates altered, trying to alter, he did a little, a little clip, trying to alter what he said about population control, you know, and, and how vaccination, he said, uh, can make healthier people, but uh, it may help reduce population. Well, he came out to try to verify, justify that, you see, but a, little, a little clip he put up. But he said, yeah, yeah, he said uh, vaccination um, makes people healthier, you know. And, but no, wait, wait, he didn't say that. He didn't clarify it properly. What he did not say in it was that population drops, not because of vaccination, you see, unless you get, you're deliberately sterilizing them, but population drops in a natural system where the folk are, are bringing in wealth and buying what they need and so on, a better lifestyle, better health, etc. Uh, and then they tend to go materialistic and have fewer children. That's what he did not mention. It's not to do just with this vaccination. Yeah? Unless he is, does mean that they've, they've sterilized people. Huh? But I certainly would not trust that character or, or any of them by that that matter, you know, no way at all. Why would you trust any of these characters? Do you, most of these, these guys you don't even get to vote for, including Al Gore, eh? Huh? You're getting a picture here. And yet, that's who's decided that, who ran the climate change agreements and everything, and set up the climate change and the Paris Accord, and they, they brought you Maurice Strong before that with his big agenda too, eh? At the Rio summit, etc. 
for austerity, bring in a pre-industrial society by dismantling all industry. Hmm? You naughty people, enjoying your lives and and using the money that you earn for yourselves, for goodness sake. Well, they're going to teach you, aren't they? And they're going to tax it all back from you. And they said in agreements a few years ago, and Canada pushed it too. They said, you know, that when Canada said that, oh, supermarkets and all the producers should must increase all the prices of the groceries. What? Well, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the, the, the grocery stores that were demanding it. No, government was demanding that they do it. Because, you see, they're going to now increase all the prices of energy. Food is energy for you folks. That's one form of energy, food. Very important. <laughs> and they did that. It just shot up in price. It's still going up in price, too. And then they'll phase out beef. That's what they're doing to meat, you see. To bring in Gates' new system of a, you know, you get your, your meatless uh, veggie burgers and things like that. You know? But she owns a patent on one of them, eh? It's amazing how they profit off the agendas that they force upon you. But that's just coincidence. They're really trying to help you, aren't they? I mean, you look at Bill Gates' eyes and, and that face as the hands waft all over the place. And look at those eyes. It's like looking at a creature that's ready to strike you and bite you. Uh, it, I, I couldn't trust that man <laughs> if you paid me to. I, I couldn't pretend to trust him. He's so insincere. His eyes are as cold as could be, I tell you. Now I'm going to put up an article. You take what you you can from it. It's just the future shape of things, and it's by Sebastian Friebel, former parliamentary advisor to the German Bundestag. And uh, it talks about... He's a former employee of it, and he says, I resolved my work on, in Parliament and Parliamentary Group became aware that uh, the people in our country are being deliberately deprived of information on the corona crisis, which is of crucial importance for assessing the situation. Then he goes into what he, he knows of it too. And that's quite a good article. And folk have said, is it true? Is it genuine? I, don't, I have no idea. I mean, but he does go into the World Economic Forum. And remember, he worked with the government. And he mentions as the mouthpiece of the most influential international corporates and major banks is using the crisis as an instrument to push forward a long-prepared agenda for the world economy. The Great Reset is presented as a change at global level towards a sustainable economy, but this is a deception. Actually, the companies of the WEF, which is mainly controlled by the financial and digital industries, want a centralization of political power and supranational institutions such as the United Nations, the EU, and the International Monetary Fund. They justified the shift of power on the pretext of managing international crisis for the welfare of the population. But is it realistic to think that the largest corporations in the world are suddenly so concerned with the well-being of the individual? Or are they exploiting the goodwill of people who want a fair and peaceful world and see supranational organizations as possibly being the key to this? And he goes on to different, different aspects of it too. Yes, he mentions too that uh, President uh, Schauble even spoke about this himself with astonishing openness when he said, and I said, uh, the corona crisis is a great opportunity, and the crisis resistance to change is diminished. 
we can now bring about the economic and financial union that we have so far failed to achieve by political means. He illustrates with this statement why this crisis is very convenient for the long-planned transformation. The centralization of the economy towards a small number of large corporations and financial investors will be further accelerated by economic union, and so on and so on. Eh? It's not a bad article. It's quite a long article too, but you should read it anyway regardless, because there's a lot of uh, factual information definitely contained within that's all we can do with it at the moment. Make your own mind up. But as I say, there's a lot of factual information regardless in it. No doubt about it. And then Bill Gates says lockdowns could continue into 2022 and believes restaurants will be closed for the next six months. But again, what qualifications does this creep have? Huh? And he also expressed optimism about Joe Biden's incoming administration. Well, I guess they're on board. Get back on board the climate. They're already saying that we're back on the climate change agenda and everything else and sustainability. And, you know, yep. who voted Bill Gates into anything? Come on here. See, we're, we're run by the technocrats. All these front people that were set up and heavily financed by billions of bucks, etc., etc., eh? Heavily financed. People have a hard time with that because they really believe the myth that this person's a self-made man and that kind of utter rubbish. The characters that run all the social media platforms are all, are, are all put out there by the, the CIA at the very least and funded into operation. Opposition to the system and let a lot of the leaders you might even follow is funded by the CIA. That's how you. That's how you control any direct direction of society. You make sure you control everything, all sides of everything. That's how it's done, folks. And it's not new. It's not new at all. And when you when you hear about cyber warriors from the military and the seventy seventh brigade, don't forget too. They also put out real people, physical people out there, and give them their own platforms for for podcasting and so on. Don't forget that too. I'm not saying they're all like that, but there's definitely a good bunch of them out there doing that too. There's no doubt about it. And they'll say a lot of stuff that others have been saying for years who are doing the real work. They've got to, to, to be credible. And then, it's, then they change it a little bit here and a little bit there as time goes on and, and keep you going in the circles or direct you off into, into a calm the, the elephant traps, you know, until you all go, fall into the elephant traps and lose your lose your platforms because of it. But they succeed and they continue <laughs> with their own platform. It's just astonishing that folk never learn, eh? So everything that's out there that you might think speaks for you is not yours. But be very careful, as I'm telling you, that's all. Be very, very careful. I won't read any more about Bill Gates. I can't stand the man. Personally, that's just me. With his insincerity and his background and his history and his dad's history too, uh, there's no way I would ever trust him and could ever trust him. And never mind uh, the the fact to follow him in any way at all because he has no right to decide my life or anybody else's life. He's not a virologist. He's not an epidemiologist. He's not even a first aid attendant. So uh, he's just a front man put there by the establishment as a mouthpiece. 
And so I've had enough of these mouthpieces. I don't know about you. But I can't even stand the propaganda of the media giving them write-ups. You know, this is disgusting. Rather sickening, really. Again, too, as I've said last week, there's no way they would give uh, a vaccine to the to promote it. Everything you see on television, remember, is fake. Everything is fake on TV. Everything's an act, remember. Even interviews are preordained. They don't even realize that when Kissinger or any of the characters go on these talk shows to... They, they, list, they ask in advance, they have agents, even Kissinger, they all have agents that manage them, and they, they demand from the interviewer or the company in advance what it's to be about to talk, what questions they want to ask, I mean, and directly, like, exactly what questions do you want to ask, and will you ask, and they come back with, no, I don't, don't ask this question or that question or whatever, but... Yada yada, and they come, they go back and forth and get an agreement before the person comes on the show, and and it's scripted, it's directed, and they, they go line by line, as prearranged. I don't, do you realize that? That's always been like that. I hope you understand that. So, so there you go. That's how it is with these characters. So there's no way they would risk a, a real vaccine and an elderly woman in their nineties on live television. Especially when you've had deaths in the, in the volunteers beforehand and things like that. There's no way. It, it could wreck the whole immunization program immediately. Sterile water, perhaps, if they gave it. I don't know if you saw two. One of them in the States there, you saw a male nurse giving another male nurse an injection, supposedly. But there was nothing. The, 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 the plunger in the syringe was, was fully down, fully down, depressed. Meaning there's nothing in the syringe. It was a, a complete show, charade, really, isn't it? To con the public. So that failed, that one. And folk naturally, they saw it. <laughs> but this is the lens they're going to, to lie to you. To make you do something that, that your body, your, your brain is telling you no, perhaps. Eh? And, uh, yeah, there's, there's no end to the shenanigans that they'll get up to to make you think it's so quite... Even though the data is coming out that folk have died, <laughs> six died with, uh, in the trials, apparently, and, one of the, and with one of the particular vaccines, they've all had problems. And it's a short... You know, they haven't had time. It takes years. It takes 10 years to, to follow up after effects that, that hit people. And you're supposed to believe if they've rushed this out in a matter of months. This this um, RNA type vaccine mRNA. Nurse faints during uh, live TV minutes after getting coronavirus vaccine. So during live TV, right? And you can see the clip too if you want it. So she again, this is to be a public relations exercise. Here's the nurse in charge of a unit taking it and. Isn't that wonderful? And she's quite going to be quite happy and tell you there's nothing to it. So you can actually see her getting losing, losing her concentration, getting wheezy and woozy, and and then just moving off, and then down she goes. You know, amazing too to see how slow the response of the focus is a hospital of the professionals getting to her to get get her all, you know, get the legs elevated, and all the rest of the feet elevated, and as her blood pressure sinks to zero. So she says, uh, all my staff, you know, we're excited to get the vaccine. That's, she's trying to follow the script, right? 
we're in the COVID unit, so therefore, you know, my team will be getting first chances to get the vaccine, Ms. Dover said. And I know that it's really, she says, then, sorry, I'm feeling really dizzy, she continued. So that was 17 minutes after she got the pfizer tech vaccine, and uh, down she went, eh? Interesting too, the BioNTech, it's bio and then N-T-E-C-H, like N-T-E-C, BioNTech uh, is a Pfizer a collaboration with a German company that also has been involved in one of the processes with other vaccine companies, including the Chinese one. And I read that the Chinese uh, vaccine had been given to one of the Latin American countries there and then had caused, uh, and then they stopped it because of the terrible catastrophes it was causing amongst the people there, supposedly. There was an article I read there too, recently. I wasn't sure if it was Peru or somewhere, but it was some Latin American country that had been given it, uh, the, the actual Chinese version of that one with the BioNTech group involved. Germany and coronavirus lockdown again with schools closed and drinking in public is banned. There you go. So Angela Merkel, again, who, this technocrat, say, uh, a Stasi inductee when she was a, a, a youth, part of the youth brigade, eh, uh, announced a, a raft of stricter lockdown measures to try to curb a wave of coronavirus infections. After rubbish. After, you understand? It's all to do with the, the same. That's why they picked these tests and this particular idea of this virus. That's why they picked this. It's guaranteed to give you false positives. They say that in their own literature. So this is, these aren't sick people. It's they don't even know they got it. Herd immunity. Even if, see, if you've got a real virus out there. You end up getting herd immunity by allowing everybody to, to pass through their system. Most folk won't get the symptoms. That's how it's always been. Even with the flu, a lot of the folk don't get the, take the shots. They don't get it. They, they just got a, a system that, that luckily can fight it off very quickly and, get, and create antibodies very quickly. So they don't even really have the symptoms of it. Same with coronavirus. So anyway... But it doesn't matter, this is an agenda. It's, it all depends on, on this being believable and to get this whole agenda through. You're never going to, you can't go back to normal when your government's already borrowed, supposedly borrowed trillions of dollars and they're still borrowing to, to dish out to the public. The value of your dollar, if, if anything is real at all, right? And we know it's the special magicians and central banks brought in to do magical accounting. We know that. Sure they do. But if anything was real at all, that, that your, your dollars would be worth, uh, it's like the German mark in the Great Depression when they had the Great Collapse. But you take basketfuls of dollars to get a loaf, if you're lucky. You might get half a loaf yeah, with a full barrel load. That's, that's what happens with inflation. Right? This is it, folks. And you can't complain to anybody because the ones doing it are, are that your own governments were taken over a long, long time ago. Completely, that is, you see, taken over. So anyway, here's Jeremy going the same way with this strange creature, Angela Merkel, that they just keep going forever and ever and ever. Mm-mm-mm. There you go. Mm-mm. 
And of course, in winter, in, in countries that get snow and bad weather, that's when you get folk going in every, every year with bronchial problems and pneumonias and so on. It's natural. Every year I've got lots of articles saved up about that. And, but facts don't matter. It's a massive agenda, folks. Everybody's getting labelled as COVID, you know, see, in the hospital. Group overseeing $10 trillion right, called Guardians for Inclusive Capitalism signs partnership with the Vatican. Right? There's two or three articles like this. This is an oddest pope, you know, who's completely on board with the elimination of nation-states, the borderless world and all the rest of it. And uh, definitely Jesuit, you know. Lots of... He's on board with the climate agenda, too, completely in sustainability. I mean, he's their man, eh? He's definitely their man. And the religious sense of it, and he's got quite a background, too, that lots of his own people and his own nation are very uh, suspicious of him, too, for his background. But anyway, yeah, he's, he's the guy, you know. And he belongs to these groups that are with the top capitalists as well, the guardians for inclusive capitalism. But it's got nothing to do with inclusive or helping. It's all doublespeak, isn't it? The council says its formation signifies the urgency of joining moral and market imperatives. Moral. Yeah. To reform capitalism into a powerful force for the good of humanity, according to a release published Tuesday. Under the moral guidance of the Pope, it says it invites companies of all sizes to harness the potential of the private sector to build a fair, more inclusive and sustainable economic foundation for the world. Well, that's exactly what, what Klaus Schwab said as well. To a fair, more inclusive and sustainable economic foundation. Just coincidence that, though, eh? And get this, the council is led by a core group of global leaders called the Guardians for Inclusive Capitalism. Yeah. This group, who you have likely never heard of till today, apparently meet annually with Pope Francis and Cardinal Turkson. I remember, I've seen it before. And it represents uh, more than $10.5 trillion in assets under management companies with over $2.1 trillion of the market capitalization and $200 million workers in over 163 countries. There you go, eh? Lynn Forrester de Rothschild, founder of the Council and Managing Partner of Inclusive Cattle Partners, commented, Capitalism has created enormous global prosperity. It's also left too many people behind, led to degradation of the planet. See here, sustainability is not widely trusted in society. The Council will follow the the warning from Pope Francis to listen to the cry of the earth, the cry of the earth, eh? and cry of the poor, and answer society's demand for a more equitable and sustainable model of growth. Sounds like a, a fascist kind of socialistic communism to me, you know. As now it is, really. More efficient technocracy. Huh? And it's got a list of the people in it, and yeah, Lady Lynn Forrester, the Rothschild, you know, founder and managing partner. Of inclusive capital partners. Yeah, there you go. I tell you. Yep. You couldn't make this stuff up, eh? One of the first US Pfizer COVID vaccine recipients has serious reaction. <gasps> yep. 
a healthcare worker in Alaska being closely monitored in the hospital after the worker suffered a serious allergic reaction to Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. The hospitalized with anaphylactic shock comparable to similar reactions reported in the UK. What stands out with the American workers is that this person had no previous allergy complaints, according to Zero Hedge. In response, Pfizer said it was working with local health authorities to assess the details of the report about potential serious allergic reaction. Yep. They'll probably come back and tell you she had the wrong genes for their vaccine. That's what, that's what they do generally with vaccines when these things happen. Oh, you get the wrong genes, you know. Yep. I didn't know there any right genes. I guess the right genes are more acceptable to foreign stuff getting put into your body, maybe. And again, more, more ones on Pope Francis' partners, too, from Forbes magazine, too. Partners of corporate titans to make capitalism more inclusive and fair. There you go. Is it real or just corporate virtue signaling? Well, it's just the same agenda as Klaus Schwab, actually. And then from their own site, Our Guardians, you know, and this is um, using their combined imagination. Again, this is reimagining things. Combined imagination, influence, and resources to change capitalism for good. Join the movement, and it gives you again the different members of it too. Yep. And then too, you know, the, the, the South China Morning Post is, is an article, as, as I've mentioned already, to do with um, one of their own vaccines being used in Latin America from China and being stopped because of what was paralysis it was causing from paralysis and neurological damage in the people who were getting it. Now, the Celts have been a, the bane of, of tyrants for a long time, you know. The, 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 the Celts have always, uh, as I mentioned before, had an allergy to tyranny. It's, it's just natural, you see. And uh, the Romans found that out too. I mean, Romans, you understand, that the only country that the Romans couldn't conquer was Scotland. Did you know that? Everywhere else they conquered it. They invaded it, but they couldn't conquer it. They were driven out. And that's why they built walls. This famous thing, they're building walls, was an old idea. And, and it was built to, you know, it was, it was actually built to keep the Celts in their own more areas. And even that didn't work. They just clambered over these, these, these uh, walls and continued with their business. But anyway, you have, uh, yeah, the attorney. And, and they keep rebelling every so often. They get stubborn, you see, and they keep rebelling about things that they don't like. Things are being imposed upon them. It's bad enough being a class-driven society where you used to have the upper, the upper crust of England, you know. The aristocracy being appointed over you, Lord this and Lord that and so on. It's like Lieutenant Governor for Scotland and, and for Ireland and places like that, you know, that were governed... Meaning you're a satrapy of them, really. And um, you're a peasant, yeah, an inferior peasant. And, and they kept letting you know you're inferior, too. Uh, the first thing they would do in Ireland, same as Scotland, was to, was to try and stop you speaking your language. The, the, the Gaelic language was the, the natural language. And all kinds of punishments if you, if, in school if, if the children kept talking in, in their own tongue, you see. 
And then you can reinforce it by bringing in a posher kind of language. For the, the Scots, they had a, a kind of posher kind of language, and it was a bit affected, I always thought. But it was to make people feel uncomfortable having a working class common language. So, because in Scotland, you had really, you had the old English tongue, which they called Scots. It was a really old English, you see. And it came when the Normans invaded England. Lots of the, the English folk, the Saxons and so on, moved north into, into lower Scotland to try and get away from it all. And they brought, but they brought with them the old language, you see, of, of the old uh, Anglo language, the Celtic, uh, no, the, the, the English language or Anglo, and the Germanic uh, tongue as well. It was a mixture, Anglo-Saxon. And that became uh, merged with the, with the Scots tongue. And you got old, the old Scots tongue that wasn't Gaelic. But the, so there's three languages. There was Gaelic, the old Scots tongue, and then you had to learn English in school so the teacher could understand you. <clears throat> uh, but so that's what you had, and really, when you look at um, Robert Burns as an example, the poet, uh, his language that he spoke was was really uh, derived from the old old English language. It was the old language they call it old old language of Scotland, but no, it wasn't Gaelic. But what you got with it with with, with upper cr- uh, crusts that, that looked down on you, you know, it was to to mind your place. A common expression, mind your place in the class system. And uh, hold your tongue was a common thing you were told to by your betters. And and, and just shut your face. That was to stop talking, shut your face. Well, they've done it now with masks. Eh? It's, it's astonishing. They've done it in Scotland uh, with Sturgeon. And they've done it in, uh, in Ireland. Eh? Irishman is sentenced to two months in prison for failing to wear a face mask. So now they're jailing them, right? So he's got, he's definitely been shut up. So they're, they're, they've been made to shut up, see? But again, he's got an allergy to being told what to do and wear this silly bit of paper. While trying to his uncle's funeral, that's when they got him, despite claiming he was medically exempt. So Andrew Heisman Travelled from Dublin. He travelled from Dublin to to knock in the Republic of Ireland on July fourteenth to lay his relative to rest when he was asked by a bus driver to wear his mask properly. The guard, a police officer, Thomas Bowens, told Castlebar District Court that Hisman was wearing his mask like a hat. Well, why not? Hmm? And refused to follow orders to cover his mouth and nose. Well, that's quite natural. See, see, your nose is meant to breathe with, and. Any obstructions will impede your breathing. That's why you're not born with a mask on or a flap there, you see. You understand how everything is, is, is completely crazy. You've been told to suffocate yourself wearing a mask. So he told the authorities he was medically exempt and that was under data protection laws. He was not legally required to provide evidence of, you know, having a problem and, and being medically exempt. Despite protesting the charges were trumped up, Heisman was convicted under the Health Act of 1947 and now faces two years in jail. So, as Judge Fiona Leiden, Heisman said his behaviour had been totally inappropriate with the judge asserting. She was satisfied that all of the ingredients required to secure conviction had been satisfied by the state. So there you are. 
Yeah, that's what he, this is the kind of nanny judge you get in a nanny state. And that's what everything is now. They're all nanny states now, aren't they? Yeah. They don't really believe in a, a democracy in nanny states. So I'll put that this to the earth. Shut your face. There you go. Wear that mask. Eh? I'm telling you. And the WHO ex- experts, experts, eh? like communists, WHO, urge Scots to wear face coverings when visiting family and friends over Christmas. Well, I don't know. This is... It's a risky, a risky festive period this year, risky, as they say, yeah. So the, the, the guidance ahead of what it feels will be a risky time in the fight against the coronavirus. People should gather outdoors if possible, and even small indoor gatherings are considered abuse. But you ever tried the weather in, in Scotland this time of year? Yeah. So gather outdoors. Why don't you tell all these characters to get stuffed? Huh? Why don't you start asserting your rights? Huh? It's just astonishing. What won't you do right? by these prunes, these characters, these comic characters? They just make things up as they go along to see if you're dumb enough to obey them. So stand outside, travel, if you travel at all to see around, stand outside uh, uh, along with the black ice or the snow or the freezing rain and let's make merry. Who's kidding who? Huh? For something. If you get it, you won't know you've got it. And don't remember all these, oh, so many thousands tested positive today, they're crazy. So don't remember, don't forget that in two weeks' time, there won't be cases anymore because they've all developed their own antibodies without a vaccine. Otherwise, they would get sick and stay perpetually sick. Do you understand that? When they say cases, they don't stay as a case. You get over it. You probably never had any symptoms of it. But these swabs, they detect particles and, and get spun amplified to produce more and more and more of them. We'll say, well, you, you might, you might have a virus. Well, in two weeks' time, if if you if you get your test negative, well, yeah, they can only test negative in that case after getting it if you've developed antibodies. So up until that now, say about two weeks ago or a month ago, all the thousands have done positive, so we'll obviously have antibodies now. But let's not talk facts here. <laughs> Where's that coming to this stuff where they're telling you to put? Obstructive material on your mouth and your ear passages. So anyway, so there you are. Scots should wear masks and maintain physical distancing when meeting up with their loved ones over the festive period, according to guidance. But they say that some may find it awkward to wear a mask in front of friends and family. It is awkward, you know, because when you start to eat all that Christmas pudding and that, it gets all sloppy and mushy on the mask, and 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 it crumbles and turns into paper mache. Yeah. Goodness sakes, eh? There you go. So this this is your. <laughs> remember that early articles in the spring, when the, when the perpetrators of this whole hoax here were were in shock themselves and kind of gleeful shock, because they couldn't believe it was so easy to get the whole nation to comply, shut all their businesses down, go into poverty. Wear masks, stay inside the houses, and be terrified to meet each other. They didn't. They said it was astonishing how easy it was. 
Oh, it didn't take some guy in a, with, with marching characters going down the streets to force you into submission. It just took massive propaganda campaigns on the airwaves. Right? Another one, too, is to do with Warps. Again, I'll put this one up again. This is from December the 1st, though, but it's worth reading again for those who haven't done it already, just in case you haven't. John Whitehead's commentary, Warp Speed Ahead, COVID-19 vaccines pave the way for a new frontier in surveillance. It goes into the fact that everybody who gets the shot then is a number and you're traced and tracked for maybe years, actually, to see how you're part of the experiment. They haven't done long-term surveys and trials, so you are part of the trial, no doubt about it. And... um, and they want to know and, and monitor you as you, if any health changes and what they are, the permanent, and etc., um, etc., et you see. But it's a good article, and they say that you don't have to go dig very deep or go back in the nation's history to uncover numerous cases in which the government deliberately conducted secret experiments on an unsuspecting populace making healthy people sick. And it's got the links to it, by the way. All the links uh, are declassified stuff by spraying them with chemicals, injecting them with infectious diseases, and exposing them to airborne toxins. There's lots of documentaries that were put out, too, on it. You actually see them doing the experiments, eh? And then it said, too, that uh, now the same government, just taking every bit of technology sold to us, being in our best interests, such as GPS devices, surveillance, non-lethal weapons, etc., and use it against us to track, control, and trap us, wants us to fall in line as it prepares to roll out COVID-19 vaccines that owe a great debt to the Pentagon's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency for its past work on how to weaponize and defend against infectious diseases. And the link to that one is there too, you know, for those that want to, to see it. It's from thedrive.com, the war zone. Uh, DARPA's virus-carrying bugs aren't officially weapons, but it sure sounds like they could be. This is the article. And it says the Trump administration, by way of the National Institute of Health, awarded $22.8 million to seven corporations to develop artificial intelligence, AI machine learning, etc., with smartphone apps, wearable devices, and software that can identify and trace contacts of infected individuals, keep track of verified COVID-19 test results, and monitor the health status of infected and potentially infected individuals. So there you go. It goes on and on and on. It's a good enough article. And it does go into lots of links in it too, to, to what they're telling you, to the facts, to show you the, to actually um, bolster the facts and show you it's all legitimate and so on. It says here that everything we do is increasingly dependent on and ultimately controlled by our internet-connected electronic devices. For example, in 2007, there were an estimated 10 million sensor devices connecting human-utilized electronic devices such as cell phones, laptops, etc. to the internet. By 2013, it had increased to 3.5 billion. By 2030, it's estimated to reach 100 trillion devices. There you go. Google's resources beyond anything the world has ever seen includes the huge data sets that result from one billion people using Google every single day and the Google Knowledge Graph, which consists of 800 million concepts and billions of relationships between them. 
Then goes the creation of a new human species, so to speak. And the NSA, the Pentagon, and the Matrix of Surveillance Agencies are part of the plan. And it says here that William Binney, one of the highest level whistleblowers to ever emerge from the NSA, National Security Agency, said the ultimate goal of the NSA is total population control. The links are all here, by the way. To the, to, this isn't just made up. This against different, different things you can actually verify. In fact, that uh, Binney had it in the Guardian newspaper too. You know that particular article about total population control and lots of more. It's, it's, a, it's a good article with lots of links in it to verify. What you're reading, uh, that's important these days. But yeah, it's incredible. I read too that uh, Israel is issuing clearances or passports to those, or like 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 in, uh, vaccination passports or COVID passports to those in Israel that want to travel by air to other countries. Now let's go back to last week, and and maybe this week too. But, if I do the same article again, perhaps, but it was, it was from Gates and it's also from Fauci, where they, they both say, and other other ones too involved in this, uh, that um, the vaccine isn't going to stop you from getting the virus. What they said, that what they're hoping for, and I, I stressed in last week's talk, hoping, very legalistic terms, eh? To get them off the hook. So what they're hoping for is that May, again, here's May, underline May, Stop you getting uh, severe symptoms. And the actual trials from months ago, I remember reading that said that, that the most they could hope to do was to, was to stop you getting minor symptoms, even like sniffles. See? Because everything's up in the air, right? But, um, but uh, last week's article said it may stop this, it may stop that. But it won't stop you from getting it. And it said that it won't stop you from carrying it or passing it on to other people. Well, you go back to Israel. If you, okay, you've had your shots, and now you're allowed to travel by air. Well, if, if it's all... Well, in that case, then, it's, you're just going to pass it. If you got it, you'd be passing it around anyway, wouldn't you? Because it's not going to stop you passing it around. So nothing, when nothing makes sense, it's not meant to make sense. There's a big con going on somewhere. Obviously. Obviously, big cons. No doubt about it, in my mind whatsoever. And uh, if it wasn't, you see, they would say, well, we, we, we've given you a vaccination, but we, can't, we still can't travel until we find a way to stop you passing this on. In this article at the top, it also has Man's Conquest of Nature by C.S. Lewis in, in The Abolition of Man. Man's conquest of nature, if the dreams of some scientific planners are realized, means the rule of a few hundred of men over billions upon billions of men. The abolition of man. <laughs> it's kind of like what Kissinger said a few years back too. And Brzezinski, I think, bolstered him up on it too, or backed him up on it, when he said that uh, at one time it was armies. It could, take, it could take millions of men to keep other many, many millions under surveillance by traditional means and rifles and bayonets and so on. And it wasn't really practical. 
But he says, uh, it, it was easier to do that than kill them all, you see. Because they didn't have the, the, the ability to just kill a, a, a whole multi-millions at once, a single blow. But he said, he said there was, now he says, it's much easier to do it now. He says, rather than have uh, controlling millions of people, it's easier to eliminate millions than, than control them. These are, these are the monsters <laughs> that you're taught are somehow... A, they're just born into these capacities as, as overseers. You don't vote for them. Everybody quotes them, everybody talks, everybody listens to them and, and obeys them. But they, they're never elected into any kind of office by the people. This is the deep state, you see. And the folk don't even know that. They just, oh, Kissinger, oh yeah, he's a famous man, you know. Who made him famous? Famous for what, you know? And that's how it's done, folks. And, and Brzezinski, of course, was picked up by him and others to, to continue the work and say the same kind of things. Denmark widens the lockdown after record COVID-19 infections. You ought to read it too, the article, before you way down until it tells you that uh, this is more than... Uh, Denmark holds a record for t- doing more tests than anybody else, right? So more than 110,000 tests were performed, it says. That's why they've got these supposed new cases, eh? not infections. But, and I get how many of them are false positive. Eh? I tell you. <laughs> and this is, this is the big one, too. It's just a far... In the spring, I remember them saying, because there was debates even then from folk who understood virology, uh, talking about... Well, they can't make a vaccine for it because there'll be so many strains, no time at all. You can't get a vaccine, you stop it. Same with AIDS, you see. Yeah. That's why they don't have a vaccine that would stop it. There's so many varieties and strains of it now. Same thing here, and it says, a mutated, stra- a mutated strain of the coronavirus that caused COVID-19 currently circulated in the UK is unlikely to affect vaccine effectiveness, experts say. They already have a stack of them, maybe a dozen or more, maybe even a couple of dozen different strains already. But they're talking about this one, this is like there's only one, because obviously it would negate the whole usefulness of the vaccine industry in this particular endeavour, because because why would they all... It's, it's, what they, say, they might be a crossover effect. That's what they tell you, the flu shot. Well, it's a different flu strain, but there might be a crossover effect. This is highly scientific and, and accurate. There might be a crossover effect uh, from that flu variation to the next flu. It might, so it might cover you. They can't prove it because they never do follow-ups. But they say it might, you know. Well, it's the same with this, you see. Well, you... It's unlikely to affect the vaccine effectiveness, experts say, even though it's a different strain of the, of the coronavirus. Here it goes, eh? It's amazing, too. How have they identified? Tell us how they identified it. That'd be awfully important. They had a hard time even getting the previous one, you see, so. And generally, see, if a virus starts to mutate into different, different strains, you get a whole stack of lesser ones. And if you get immunity to the lesser ones, I'd never know you had it, uh, that, that gives you your supposed immunity to the further ones, the so-called real crossover effects, folks. If the basic material, uh, most of it is, is much the same, you see. So but again, they're going to really play this up and terrify the people, because again, lose losing interest. In the, 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 the folk aren't just getting sick fast enough, you see. 
Brexit Day 2020. When is the UK due to leave the EU and how will it happen, it says, by the Telegraph. Well, again, don't forget, I started off talking about sustainability and, and the climate agenda because, you see, they were furious last year. They told us they were furious in newspapers because people were pulling out of it. The US pulled out of it. That's a lot of funding, too, for them. And other folk were starting to ignore it. And they said, well, what we needs something drastic to get it back on board, you know. And, well, they brought up COVID. That's, that's, that's the next step, you see. And they get done much quicker with COVID than, they, than the, this trying to persuade us through agreements and cutting us back on prosperity and take more of our money from us into essential necessities like food and Accommodation. That's what they said on the sustainability. We'll have to take more and more away from there so they have less money to spend on, on other goods, etc. Huh? <laughs> they know they, them, huh? We've got all their names of the organizations and so on that run us all. But we, because they're all, they claim that they're private organizations, Private organizations that have authority over your governments. Wait a minute here. You know, come on here. So they have, you have no one to complain to. There's no chain of command for you to complain through. And folk think they're, they're living in democracies. Oh, so they go through this thing with Boris Johnson. And Boris Johnson, I wonder how much he actually pays. Is Does he have a personal hairdresser to, to give him that wild, unkempt look? That carefully manicured kind of uh, unkempt look, huh? really. Everything is so fake in TV eh? or, or in the photographs. I should say I don't have the TV, but you'll see it on the internet. All right. UK's COVID nineteen Christmas policy could have a catastrophic human cost. <gasps> oh no, no! Rapid testing will be rolled out across secondary schools in parts of London, Kent, and Essex. To stop the spread. Why not allow it to spread? Then you'd all get immunity. Like we've got immunity against most other things in history. You know? But again, it's nothing to do with that, is it? COVID is just the pretext for a whole new way of existing. I won't say living, because you'd hardly call it living. And technocracy and the Great Reset by Joseph McCullough. And it's a quite good article too, with a video. And um, he has James Delling Poe interviewing, interviewing with Patrick Wood, and um, of technocracy. You know, as explained by Wood, this new economic system, which is not a natural one, is not based on common pricing mechanisms such as supply and demand for free commerce. Instead, the economy of technocracy is based on energy resources, which then dictates the types of products being produced, bought, sold, and consumed. In essence, energy replaces the concept of money as a commodity. You see? It's a commodity. Energy itself. That's why Al Gore tried to sell carbon credits. You see, carbon exchange, like penalties on, on what you've bought and how much energy it made to, to, to create that item. And they make you pay for it. That's the same agenda as technocracy. Yeah. And the, one of the fellows who belonged to Technocracy Inc. at the time, in the back in the 30s, literally walked into the Rockefellers and, 
and put his plan uh, and, um, to them and got financial backing for it, by the way. Some of the, the, the richest characters that you know today, they're prominent and, and pretty, fairly new stars. You know, they, they, make, they make them into stars in the, in the who's who industry. Uh, their, their grandparents were members and founding members of technocracy, some of them. Well-known names today. This is technocracy. Technocracy is not a political system. Technocracy seeks to eliminate uh, elected officials and governments as a whole. Understand that. Crisis, crisis. Oh, we can't go on like this. It's too inefficient. This democracy, Club of Rome, World Economic Forum. Huh? Technocracy seeks to eliminate elected officials and government as a whole. And by the way, your officials now are guys like Bill Gates. They're not elected. <laughs> they have no place in the system which, when fully implemented, would run itself more or less automatically with input at the top by the technological masterminds. There's also no room for nations or nationalism that might influence behavior. As noted by Wood, Aldous Huxley's dystopian novel, Brave New World, offers compelling glimpse into technocracy. There's no political system. It's all run by engineers and scientists and algorithms they create. As noted in the description for technocracy, the hard road to world order. While the technocratic plan has been underway for decades, things have been rolled out in rapid succession this year. If you formed the impression that we're all suffering from some sort of boiled frog syndrome, you'd probably be right. Self-evident rights have been stripped from us, and people have more or less grown to accept situations that would have been unthinkable a year ago. We've been told to work from home and, and avoid going anywhere. Our businesses have been shuttered to protect public health. We've been told to wear face coverings even while outdoors, while eating and in our own homes. We're now told we'll have to have vaccine passports if we want to get on a flight in the future. And world leaders are openly talking about the Great Reset. You know, who voted these world leaders in? We didn't. Yeah. Now, the central banks were obviously part of the plan too from the very beginning. The central bank system is crashing as we speak, having reached its, the end of its functional life as the global debt burden exceeds the country's ability to pay interest. But the reset they're talking about is not another central bank system. It will be centralized, yes, but again, the very basis of the global economy will shift away from commodity of money to the commodity of energy. In the interview, Wood, Wood explains how the technocratic elite members of the Trilateral Commission in particular have influenced and manipulated economic regulations to ensure their success. Sustainable Development Agenda 21 is all technocracy. Then they give you technocracy 2030, a glimpse into the future. It was from the Forbes the article written by an unnamed person from the World Economic Forum Leadership Strategy Team, and it reads in part, it's from the Forbes magazine, remember? Welcome to the year 2030. Welcome to my city, or should I say our city. I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or any clothes. It might seem odd to you, but it makes perfect sense for us in the city. Everything you considered a product has now become a service. 
we have access to transportation, accommodation, food and all the things we need in our daily lives. In our city we don't pay any rent because someone else is using our free space whenever we do not need it. My living room is used for business meetings when I am not there. Once in a while I would choose to cook for myself. It's easy. The necessary kitchen equipment is delivered at my door within minutes. Shopping? I can't really remember what that is. For most of us, it's been turned into choosing things to use. Sometimes I find this fun. Sometimes I just want the algorithm to do it for me. It knows my taste better than I do by now. The concept of rush hour makes no sense anymore since the work that we do can be done at any time. I don't really know if I would call it work anymore. It's more like thinking time, creation time, and development time. My biggest concern is all the people who do not live in our city, those who we lost in the way, those who decided that it became too much, all this technology, those who felt obsolete and useless when robots and artificial intelligence took over big parts of our jobs. Those who got upset with the political system and turned against it, they lived different kinds of life outside the city. Some have formed little self-supplying communities. Others just stayed in the empty and abandoned houses in small 19th century villages. Once in a while I get annoyed about the fact that I have no real privacy, nowhere I can go and not be uh, registered. I know that somewhere everything I do, think and dream, Office recorded. I just hope that nobody will use it against me. All in all, it's a good life. Remember, too, what I'm reading here is is a, a pretty well like Brave New World. That's we had Brave New World, and you had the, the savages and barbarians outside the cities that would that been there for generations. They didn't come in to the city, and then you know conform and be part of it. And then it's got Microsoft's international patent, and it gives you the patent number W O dash twenty twenty dash O six O six O six. Describes a, a cryptocurrency system using body activity data. It was filed in twentieth June the twentieth two thousand nineteen. That was the patent, and the patent office application is one six one two eight five one eight. Filed September twenty first two thousand eighteen. And then explains in the abstract the human body activity associated with a task provider provided to a user may be used in the mining process of a cryptocurrency system. A server may provide a task to a device of a user, which is communicatively coupled to the server. A sensor communicatively coupled to or comprised in the device of the user may sense body activity of the user. Data may be generated based on the the sense body activity of the user and cryptocurrency system communicatively coupled to device the user may verify if the body activity data satisfies one or more conditions set by the cryptocurrency system and award cryptocurrency to the user whose body activity data is verified. It would turn basically the human beings into robots and it would be part of the answer of how you will survive in the future making a living in the artificial intelligence tech-driven cashless world of the future. And people will be brought down to the level of mindless drones, spending their days carrying out tasks automatically handed out by, say, a cell phone app in return for a cryptocurrency award. Then goes into who are the technocrats, and so on. 
You cannot simply join the Trilateral Commission, is it? One example. They select their own members is invitation only. A list of the members is of 2020 can be found on freddonaldson.com. Well-known names in the U.S. Trilateral Group include David Rockefeller, Henry Kissinger, Michael Bloomberg, and Google heavyweights Eric Schmidt and Susan Molinari, Vice President for Public Policy at Google. Recognizing the necessity of the media is also David Ignatius, columnist for the Washington Post, David Sanger, Chief Washington Correspondent for the New York Times, and Gerald Sieb, Executive Editor at the Wall Street Journal. And that gives you an interesting list, it says, of people and organizations such as the Club of Rome, the Aspen Institute, um, the Atlantic Institute, the World Economic Forum, and the Brookings Institute and other think tanks and so on. Good enough article for those who want to peruse it and go through the information to, to show you that nothing's happening just by itself here. And it's a big operation with all these different factions and organizations involved in planning and implementing any future. Now, technology really is not your friend today, unfortunately, and, and it's inevitable because if, it, if anything can be done, whatever it is, it will be done. It's like weapons. Yeah, if, it, if it can be made, that they will be used. That's what happens. And the same with technology. You're not living in a, in a, a society that, where you really do have rights and there's decent human beings running the show. You're run by tyrants, really. Many with, many with degrees, I mentioned that last week too, about um, demonic uh, professions and, and uh, things like that, the, how they go into the, <laughs> it's like demonic uh, um, possession or, of people and may encourage them into these professions or they may already, or maybe they, they become possessed once they go into them. When you, when you really know what the characters do in some of these laboratories and how they chop up different things and analyze them, and they think nothing of it, literally nothing at all of it. They feel, they feel nothing. They certainly don't feel any any sorrow or guilt or or even repugnance. Um, they're psychopathic, you know. And the ones who design viruses and bacterium and and funguses and so on for for warfare purposes, uh, would you want to get into the, the headspace to figure out what they think about during the day, you know? It would surprise you how cool and calm they are. Because they're psych- they are psychopaths. There's no doubt about it. They are psychopaths. I'm no doubt. They, 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 can, they can kiss their, their wives goodbye in the morning, their children, and and come home and do some clipping in the garden or whatever, and and other hobbies and their interests. And, but if, if it came to f- guilt, if, if you ask them quite but guilt about anything, no, not at all. Because psychopaths cannot tolerate and will not tolerate frustration and anxiety. It doesn't happen. It's part of the signs and symptoms of the psychopath. They, they work off anxiety through other people. And watching them get upset, they're awfully good at that. And they'll stand, they'll stand back and actually smile when they get people fighting each other, where they've manipulated them into fighting each other and arguing with each other, and they step backwards and watch it happening. There, it's an incredible performance if you ever watch it happening. But yeah, they're cool and calm, and that's what you'll find about them. They don't panic so quickly. 
A new satellite can peer inside some buildings day or night. But don't worry, the company says it can't see inside your home. But then it, I think it uh, tells you later on, well, not most home. You know? So it's, uh, it's called the Capella Space uh, Company. Launched a satellite capable of taking clear radar images of anywhere in the world with incredible resolution. It can even see inside some buildings, including spotting airplanes inside hangars. Uh, though only in the case of lightweight structures, the company clarified, they're not dense ones like high-rises or residential homes. Well, I, was, I would call them pretty light uh, residential homes. And like most of the huge array of surveillance and observational satellites orbiting the Earth, this satellite, Capella 2, can snap a clear picture during a night or day rain or shine, it says. And it turns out that half the world is in, in nighttime and half the world average is cloudy. And... Um, when you combine those two together, about 75% of the Earth, any time it's going to be cloudy, nighttime it's going to be both. It's invisible to you, and that portion is moving around. So it uh, launched a platform allowing governmental or private or private customers eh, to request images of anything in the world. There you go. <laughs> a capability that only will only get more powerful with the deployment of six additional satellites next year. Is that creepy? Uh, from a privacy point of view, sure, but Benazza Day, as the name says it is, also plugs numerous holes in the way scientists and government agencies are currently able to monitor the planet. So there you go. And uh, uh, what can you say? It's, it's going to get worse and worse, obviously. And again, I'm, I'm going to put up once again the scenarios for the future of technology and International Development, Rockefeller Foundation, right? That's the one from um, 2010 that had the lockstep in it, where they went through the whole... Incredible how they set up uh, technocracy. The Milner Group, the, the, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, uh, set up their branch in the States, starting with... Uh, the CFR group and the, the Trilateral Commission eventually came down the pike. But they already had their families placed inside America. They worked with the, the, what they called the Anglo-American establishment based in London at the time. It was all set up long, long ago. And Lord, it was Lord Earl Grey, who was the, the official representative for Britain at one point, who was chosen to come over and and really um, work with Mandel House, that or Colonel Mandel House is an honorary title he gave himself, but uh, he he was an important character in it, when they were really setting up the big institution that was to run the United States of America, the private organization, the one that brought in the Federal Reserve as an example in preparation for wars and borrowing money by the state that the taxpayers would then have to pay back. So they brought in the Federal Reserve too, under under temporary war taxes and so on. Everything was managed that way, you know. And, and the public, it's all kept out of the general history books. You can get it some, you know, I don't know if you can still find them in universities today. The, the ones by Mandel House, really important. Well, I thought interesting books to read by a real, you know, psychopath who liked to boast a lot about his big part in it all and how really he had, he had President Wilson under his thumb, you know. Mandel House was a real boss, according to himself. 
and so on, and how he he really was behind the big scheme for the creating the, the Federal Reserve System. And, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the Rockefellers were the ones that that uh, Lord L. Grey and my, went over. It wasn't just to see Mandel House; it was, it was also to see the Rockefellers. Don't forget, Rockefellers grabbed all resources that humans needed, and and said competition was a sin because they'd worked towards a system of total monopoly for everything that you would need across the whole planet. That was the idea behind it at the time. And they would go after the wealth of the world, they would grab the gold supplies, the, the diamond supplies, and they would run the world properly. And be post eventually they would use democracy to get the public on board and then withdraw democracy and you end up with technocracy. It's all the same system, you see. So you should really try and wade your way through 54 pages. It's not, it's not much compared to some of these PDFs, but uh, they have everything in here too. Absolutely everything in here for the future. It's 2010, right? And it's quite good. And how they would manage the world and bioethics eventually. The one recently came from Rockefeller Foundation and they're running the, the Bioethics Commission for the, the COVID stuff and how horse I've got articles here how the hospitals and guidelines for the hospitals and who to treat, who not to treat and 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 um, how they would monitor people who came into a hospital and, and they would work out life expectancy if they did or didn't treat the person and all that kind of stuff. Your age was a, how to, <laughs> I've said it for years, you're, you're already getting categorized all the time by your age. Any disabilities at all, just even aging problems are, are all categorizing for you for treatment or no treatment uh, when, there's, when there's a scarcity of medication, they say. These are official documents put out to all the hospitals in the States and Canada and elsewhere, of course, because we're all on board together, aren't we? And the folk don't know it. They haven't got a clue what's really going on, eh? Also, Peter Nygaard. It's interesting, too. The fashion mogul. I don't know. I've never seen him before. He was arrested in Canada amid sexual assault allegations. And he said that he's a fashion tycoon. His ex-girlfriend allegedly acted as his madame. And Peter Nygaard was accused of hiring a sex worker to rape his teen sons. Nygaard employees scrubbed computers amid FBI raid lawyers' claim and inside the twisted world of rapist designer Peter Nygaard. And a book has been put out too, I think, as well about it. Anyway, the 79-year-old Finnish-born designer and businessman whose women's apparel company was headquartered in Times Square in the States is accused of fueling his near-daily need for sex with victims as young as 14. So he's living in Canada. Was nabbed, he was nabbed in Winnipeg on Monday at the request of the U.S. feds. Manhattan prosecutors had been investigating the grey-maned magnet at least since February when they raided his headquarters after a slew of women sued him for alleged sex abuse. And the allegations goes, go back as, as, as far as 1995. And harm to his victims included not only economic and psychological harm, but also numerous instances of non-consensual sex 
including no, uh, non-consensual group sex, attempted forcible rapes, and drugging of victims. And, of course, they naturally they, they, they lured in the young females to, to uh, put them in the payroll as models and assistants and so on. It says, yeah. And uh, they had the pamper parties or gigs known for their free food drinking, spa treatments, etc. And California and the Bahamas. It says, too, that uh, he would use a girlfriend uh, or, or employee at his eccentric parties to scout out fresh victims who would then be forced to have sex with him and later receive hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash. But anyway, that's one article, but there's been another guy too, another in the same kind of uh, trade, I guess. And I think it was uh, yeah, Jean-Luc Brunel, model scout and trainer of Jeffrey Epstein, arrested in France on rape and sexual trafficking charges. And that's December 17th, New York Daily News. So they're definitely going after some people. I don't think these stories even even grab people anymore because we, we're living in such a degraded society now anyway. Folk watch a lot of this stuff on regular entertainment and, and then you're reading about this and they're saying, well, what's the difference? You know, uh, I don't think you can shock people so much. That's why they end up getting really good children. Once, once no one gets upset about children getting used, then it's all finished for everybody because we're so jaded and... and uh, Debauched by the cultural and the culture industry, a war on the people. Everything you take for granted is part of the the war apparatus is used upon you in culture. You know, and again, you think it's all quite natural, simply because it exists. You know, the culture industry, your music and movies and all the rest of it. It's all managed the same way. You know? For, for different purposes than you, you can possibly imagine. And they keep you living in the land of the muses. You're amused. And the muses, of course, were magicians in extent too. They had magic and techniques they could use upon you to lull you into situations and states of mind that perhaps you shouldn't be in either. You know, not just the nice ones and pleasant music and so on, but they could actually hypnotize you into a, a kind of... A, where you wouldn't even deal with things that you, you would, you'd be completely defenseless, put it that way. And so the article here goes into this uh, Brunel being arrested and so on. And it says that uh, he's accused of plying Jeffrey Epstein with new victims. So he's one of them that's supplying and reportedly been arrested by authorities in Paris and charged of rape. This went on for years and years, eh, back in the 90s. I remember there's a good documentary put in Canada years ago on this on the sec, on the model industry, and it did follow uh, some of these these recruitment agencies for models, and you saw the same characters. I'm surprised if Epstein was one of them, but you you, you definitely saw the same characters travelling across the world. They had all these competitions all the time. For these model by these model agencies, and you would see the same guys acting as judges. And then at the end of the program, they showed you these young females around 15, 16, who um, were all that made it all being used for sex. And uh, some quite a few of them by that time very quickly were, were addicted to cocaine, you know. And that was just the way it was done. So as we go on for, for oh, years and years and years. A society was getting more debauched and debauched and debauched. And again, even when people claim that they've been abused, 
it doesn't have the impact that it, it would have maybe 30 years ago if things that came out of then, you know, or 40 years ago. Nothing shocks the public now, as I say, when they're watching stuff under an entertainment and under the guise of fiction along the same vein, you know. And doesn't speak well of people, does it? We're a sad lot indeed. We truly are. Now here's the article I mentioned earlier from it's from Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security and National Organizations. And it says, Call for Action to Implement Crisis Standards of Care During COVID-19 Surges. This is bioethics, you see. And it says that uh, it's sent out to hospitals and health departments and all the rest of it. And it says that, uh, so the, the Johns Hopkins Center for Health and Security and eight other national organizations have issued a statement calling for immediate action to implement crisis standards of care, that's CSC, right? during the current COVID-19 surge. By the way, they've had these standards, some of them already long before COVID. But what it means now is they're vamping them up, adding to them, and it's going to be permanent eventually. See who you treat, who not to treat, regardless of what the problem is. CSE occurs when healthcare resources, resource shortages, such as staff, hospital beds, and medications are severe enough to require a change in conventional standards and processes care. Many hospitals and localities are experiencing such shortages now. When limited resources require tough decisions, CSC plans to ensure the most good is done for the largest number of people, the situation, the ethics, and so on. And uh, in joint statement, they give the link to, to the joint statement, recommends key actions for governors, state health departments, hospitals, health systems, support, plan for, and equitably implement crisis standards of care. And uh, it says a list of the CSC tools and resources also available. And they tell you that to, so that they lay it out for you where it's, where it's going to go and so on, who you treat, who not to treat, and all the rest of it. All the links are on this article. And I'll put that up for those who, who have, want to peruse it and see what's already been planned pretty well. And where it's all supposed to go from here, basically. This article two, uh, this next one is from the World Economic Forum, another white paper put out in October 2020 called Resetting the Future of Work Agenda, Disruption and Renewal in a Post-COVID World. And it's with a different route. Parts of it, Resetting the Future of Work Agenda, Transform Organization, Design and Work Design, Empower an Agile and Distributed Workforce, and Explore Hybrid Working Options, Pivot to Remote Working, Redesign the Workspace, Align New Technology Skills, Embrace Technology for Business Transformation, this is your whole 5G rollout for monitoring and etc. Integrate reskilling and upskilling, cultivate health and well-being, safeguard physical and mental health, and consider total well-being. That's a big one, actually, well-being, because wellness is what they also call it, right? Because they, there's ways to treat you, even psychiatrically, if, if you're not happy enough under terrible conditions. Uh, that's all part of that, too. Enable safe return to the office. Build human-centric leadership culture empower local leaders and improve communication, 
uh, this is your NGO groups and stuff coming to the into it. Your, your new, well, your new um, apparatchiks in a sense you call them. Enhance employee listing and enable human connection. Re-emphasize diversity, equity, and inclusion. Again, this, this all this meaningless drivel. Embrace stakeholder capitalism. Protect workers. Reimagine just like reimagining education by Bill Gates. Reimagine layoffs. Right. Responsibility and integrate gig workforce, GIG workforce. So integrate it. A call to action, etc., etc. No, no one voted in this this private club, the World Economic Forum. But again, you can see it's part of the deep state, obviously working with uh, the climate agenda too and sustainability. It's all the same agenda, exactly the same agenda, folks. Uh, with with different different faces on it to to fool the public. That's what it's all about. And most folk never figured it out. But I'll put it up for you for those who want to go look through. It's a PDF. And um, some folks do like to just know things like that, right? Bill Gates family eugenics in COVID-19. Can't fully understand Bill Gates until we know about his and his father's agenda to depopulate our world. A lot of the stuff is stuff I've talked about for years, about Bill Gates and the agenda, eugenics and all that. And uh, Francis, Sir Francis Galton, all my the stuff I talked about years ago, etc., etc., etc. But if you want to go through, it's up to you. And also, this is a weird one. This is a weird one. And it's pro-death group, right? Pro-death groups, it's euthanasia. Recruits Satanists in an attempt to take over Canadian pro-life palliative care hospice. This is mainstream news, eh? And uh, it's in a couple of articles. And so euthanasia activists are reaching out to their allies, including Satanists and atheists, in an attempt to force the hospice to lethally inject sick patients. And I thought, like, surely not, it's just overblown. It's not, it's actually, in, it's in LifeSite News, but it's also in other mainstream newspapers too, Canadian newspapers. So in Delta, British Columbia, December 18th, the euthanasia activists campaign to take over a Canadian hospice society because it refuses to lethally inject sick patients. And they're now recruiting memberships from the Satanic Temple. You can't make this stuff up, eh? And since April 2020, a local group called Take Back Delta Hospice, aided by Euthanasia Lobby Group Dying with Dignity, has been attempting a hostile takeover of the Delta Hospice Society by going door-to-door in the West Coast community and signing up pro-Euthanasia members. As part of a relentless campaign by Euthanasia activists in the province's National Democratic Party government against the Hospice Society that began shortly after Canada legalized euthanasia in 2016. And insist that because the non-profit private society is not faith-based, it cannot claim a religious exemption from what the alleged legal obligation to allow euthanasia on site at its 10-bed uh, Irene Thomas Hospice. The Hospice Society, however, is standing firm in its refusal to do so, citing its constitution, which does not allow any measures that would hasten a patient's death, and the fact that euthanasia is incompatible with palliative care. In response to the takeover attempts, the Delta Hospice Society launched a nationwide membership drive asking pro-life Canadians to buy $10 membership to the society. 
with a majority of pro-life members, the private society can then vote to amend its bylaws to stipulate that individuals who support euthanasia are not eligible to join. And he goes on and on and on, but you can see how they're trying to do it. They can actually, if they, if they get them <laughs> for the satanic temple, they can see it's faith-based, you understand? That's one of, them too. One, of, one of the reasons they're doing it. And, and the find out from the mainstream newspapers, it tells you that that uh, most of the members of it now don't even live in Delta now because they've gone way outside the area, you know. But, yeah, I tell you, you can't make this stuff up, can you? The, the, the times in which we live, indeed. I wonder if they'll put all this down in the history books, eh? I wonder how that part of it or not. Hmm. And Scotland, too, again, Nicholas Sturgeon, oh, travel ban for the people. You know, just, just like they fought for... <laughs> Centuries to get freedom and end up giving it all away to communists under the guise of Scottish nationalism. Oh, isn't that amazing one? Eh? It, it really is. Uh, that's how communism always got into countries. They would they would foment, they would get in and infiltrate and stir up unrest. And they, uh, or if there was, I was already on the go, just like the just like the um, unconventional warfare tactics of the Department of Defence. You go in there to a country, find out who's disaffected by by things. And then you and then you you sympathise with them, augment them with more data, more help, etc. And then, but then for, for communism, you do a war of national liberation, where you demand and go to almost go to war to get national liberation. And then once you come out of it, you you end up being a communist society, pretty well, socialist communist. The banks love it though, because you, you you're just constantly borrowing from them. The big banks, the nation borrows from them all the time. You've all heard about the major leak uh, that came out about China, the Communist Party, and it uh, says that uh, a major leak exposed members and lifts the lid off on the Communist Party of China. Uh, having members all over the world, which they certainly do, there's no doubt about that, you know. This is a container register with the details of nearly 2 million uh, CCP uh, members. China's Communist Party members has occurred exposing members who are now working all over the world who are also lifting the lid on how the party operates under Xi Jinping. Uh, says Sham Markson, uh, Ms. Markson said the leak is a register with the details of the Communist Party members, including their names, party position, birthday, national ID, numbers, ethnicity. It is believed to be the first leak of its kind in the world, Sky News host said. And uh, so they've got them, they've got communist infiltration into all different parts of the country in Australia and the, and the rest of the world too, mind you, uh, allowing infiltration of those companies by CCP members who have uh, called on are answerable directly to the Communist Party, to the chairman, to the president himself, she said. And, uh, and they've, they've worked their, their, their way into different departments of even Australian government positions and so on and Quite something, but they haven't seen them. I thought they were going to release all the names, but I don't know if they have or not yet. Can't find them anyway. I mentioned earlier too about that Chinese uh, vaccine that they given in Peru. It just turned out to be Peru right enough that it caused neurological problems. I'll see if we can put that link up too. It's a confusing site that they have, but it's an official Chinese site. It just shows you though that... <laughs> they're going to really, really I don't care how many drop with, with, with the vaccine I, really, I know this for a fact It doesn't matter how many collapse And get crippled or die 
they're, they're going to, again, they're resolute, just like warfare, because they are at war with the public. And they're going to go all the way uh, to deny it's happening as it happens. And how many folk are going to get blamed for inflicting it themselves or, again, the wrong kind of genes or something? It'll be astonishing. But they'll keep at it until they can't keep it quiet any longer. There's no doubt on that at all. For something that doesn't, that just doesn't uh, kill many people, you might die, and that'll be in your system. You may have it in your system. You may just have a, a fragment picked up by a swab, but but uh, generally people aren't dying off it. They're, they're dying maybe with that in it, and a, a whole bunch of other viruses to boot too that are there in nature. You see, you understand what's happening. It is interesting to me that uh, how they're playing all this out, though. In your face, like never before. There's, there's no doubt about it. The deep state is everywhere. Now I'm going to do a few quotes from Bertrand Russell, just to, again, to reiterate the fact you're living in a, in a script, something that was written years ago, with generations that come and go, all working towards the same agenda. And they make them into stars, like they still they do in this day and age, and Bertrand Russell was made to be a star. And, and I also remember the Fabian Society and many other societies, and the, the Macy Group, and worked with the Frankfurt School too, worked with all different groups that were authorized to create a post-World War II new culture for the West. Interesting, yeah. But Bertrand Russell, um, and most folk thought he was left-wing, and he was there for the, for the people's sake. No, he wasn't. <laughs> but, but, but again, you understand what so, true socialism really means from these guys' points of view. Yeah. But his father was Lord Amberley. Mother was Catherine Louisa Stanley. She was a suffragist, and she was friends with the world revolutionaries, such as Mazzini. And... Uh, and had them in them over as guests, their homes, uh, her home through her life. I, she was, homes plural, because they had homes too, you know. And th- these revolutionaries generally are, you know, the ones that they bring in socialist communism on the public. They're very, very wealthy. But it says scientific societies are as yet in their infancy. This is Russell speaking. It may be worthwhile to spend a few mon- moments in speculating as to possible future developments of those that are oligarchies. It's to be expected that advances in physiology and psychology will give governments much more control over individual mentality than they now have, even in totalitarian countries. Fichte laid it down that education should aim at destroying free will so that after pupils have left school, they shall be incapable throughout the rest of their lives of thinking or acting otherwise than as their schoolmasters would have wished. He also goes on to talk about... um, the, the sort of character, or, or maybe at the end of uh, characters, certain characters, depending on what they wanted. But says diet, right? Diet, injections, and injunctions will combine from a very early age to produce the sort of character and the sort of beliefs that the authorities consider desirable. And any serious criticism of the powers that be will become psychologically impossible. Gradually, by selective breeding, the congenital differences between the rulers and the ruled will increase until they become almost different species. 
a revolt of the plebs would become as unthinkable as an organized insurrection of sheep against the practice of eating mutton. In like manner, the scientific rulers will provide one kind of education for ordinary men and women and another for those who are to become holders of scientific power. Ordinary men and women will be expected to be docile, industrials, punctual, thoughtless and contented. That's all your entertainment, everything, right? Of, of these qualities, probably contentment will be considered the most important. In order to produce it, all the researches of psychoanalysis, behaviorism, and biochemistry will be brought into play. You're witnessing all that today. Huh? This is 70 years ago. This is written. And it says all the boys and girls will learn from an early age to be what is called cooperative in school, group thinking school, which they have today. Dress the same, look the same, and behave the same, same opinions. It says to do exactly what everybody else is doing. That's what cooperative means. Initiative, initiative will be discouraged in these children, and insubordination without being punished will be scientifically trained out of them. Second, as regards population, if there is not to be a permanent and increasing shortage of food, agriculture must be conducted by methods which are not wasteful of soil. Increase of population must not outrun the increase in food. And again, that was the Malthusian idea that one day you'd be standing on top of each other's heads, which isn't true either, you know. And that there should be a world authority that would, that would deal with food and dole it out to each country in turn. To keep the population down, and if you over, if you increased your population, they stop feeding you till you decreased it yourself by force or whatever means you, you decided. Right? And uh, this is all discussed even with the United Nations. Eventually, this the, all these techniques I'm, I'm mentioning now. When they mentioned when they said that in the United Nations, the minister in charge of agriculture said that uh, agriculture and farming was too important to be left to farmers. You see, because food is a weapon. You can't have just free enterprise as normal. Food is a weapon. And also he says here, our members who are so important that for their sake we should patiently permit this state of affairs to come about. Surely not what then, uh, what can we then do? Apart from certain uh, deep-seated or yeah, seated prejudices, the answer would be obvious. The nations which are present, presently increasing rapidly, should be encouraged to adopt methods by which in the West increase of population has been checked. Now, how come they already checked it in the West? And it's true, some of the 1950s on, folk had fewer and fewer children, and sterilities were increasingly higher. So the increase of population has been checked. What happened in the 50s? Well, they came up with, vac- with polio vaccines. I can't say that's doing it. just mentioning it, things that happened in the 1950s, you know. Well, he, he said it himself that it had been checked in the West by methods. We'd adopt methods. He says all this could be could done in a generation, he says, with government help. And he says there are two forces opposing it. One, one was religion, the other is nationalism. And that's what you're hearing today. They're, they're, under COVID, they're hammering churches. They're leaving other ones alone, but any Christians are going after churches because they're easy meat, easy targets. And also, uh, they're, they're against nationalism. We need a global authority to deal with this crisis, you see. And the crisis is that are going to come out of it, with, again, with rationing food, centralization, centralization, central, even centralization a la Marx by the big rich. 
feudal overlords of the planet, eh? And he talks about war being disappointing and not killing enough people in, in, in his books, too. And uh, he does mention, too, of a black death, a pandemic, eh? Could be spread throughout the world once in every generation. Survivors could procreate freely without making the world too full. So there you go. It's, uh, there you go. You could have lots and lots of sex as long as you, you just didn't have the children and, and bring up the, the too many people. And he talks about wandering, he says, I'm wandering from the question of stability to which I must return. There are three ways of securing a society that shall be stable as regards population. The first is that of birth control. The second, that of infanticide, killing children, or really in destructive wars. And the third, that of general misery, except for a powerful minority. And that's exactly what we've said at articles from the United Nations for years. Well, we can, we can sustain a, a small minority, a very high standard of living, but not everybody. And that's what your whole uh, Agenda 21 sustainability is about, by the way. To make sure that a minority can be kept like that, <laughs> that kind of level of, of luxury. And the rest of you must just suffer in misery. There you go. There's your, there's your wonderful Lord Bertrand Russell, the eh? man of the people. Eh? Now, this article from Paul Craig Roberts sums it up, too. Again, I've mentioned it, the authority. That's all you've got is the authority. This unknown authority just that tells you what's true and what's false, according to the God that uh, sits in the seat of the ultimate authority there, of uh, opinion and so on. But it's about that, too. And it says, free inquiry, rest in peace. You can tell that the U.S. presidential election was stolen the same way that you can tell that COVID is being hyped to serve an agenda. The way you know is that no explanation is permitted other than the official explanation. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and the press tube, print TV and NPR media censor all information that indicates a stolen election. Not even neutral election experts, heavily armed with facts and witnesses who've signed sworn affidavits under penalty of perjury, are interviewed by the prostitutes media or permitted to post documentation of electoral fraud on social media. It is simply out of the question to give any hearing to evidence. That's true, isn't it? I mean, no, one's, no, no court wants to even hear it. They're refusing to even hear the evidence of fraud. Some Democrat and prostitutes have even called for the arrest of anyone who says Biden did not win or might not have won if the evidence could be weighed. They want to make challenging the official explanation a crime subject to imprisonment. Same for COVID. As far as I can tell, there are more virologists, immunologists and epidemiologists who question the seriousness of COVID than there are those who see COVID as a threat that justifies lockdowns, masks, mandates and punishment for non-compliance. Yet the dissenting experts are not permitted to present their evidence to the public. Keep in mind that Fauci and Redfield are not great scientists. They're merely administrators of public health organizations. They're not in the same levels as their critics. Think about it for a minute. And neither of the two most important issues currently affecting the U.S., indeed one could say the Western world, the validity of the U.S. presidential election, and the reality of the COVID threat, is there any public debate? It's true, isn't it? The truth, there's, there's no public debate at all allowed. 
Doesn't it strike you as odd that, that only one opinion, the official opinion, is permitted? The two most important issues of our time only have official explanations. The public isn't permitted to expert dissenting opinion. This doesn't bother you. You would think that there would be a variety of views about such important subjects and that evidence would be presented and carefully evaluated. Instead, all debate is foreclosed. Only the official explanation is permitted. This suggests that the evidence for Biden's win and for a COVID threat that justifies an economic holocaust is suspect and cannot stand the light of day. Therefore, no debate is permitted in order to protect the lie. That's obviously it, yeah. An uninformed reader might say that the courts have examined evidence and have rejected evidence of electoral fraud as insubstantial. And indeed, the reader would have to be uninformed or misled by the lies of the press street media. The fact is this, no court has examined the evidence. They refuse to do it. No state court and not the U.S. Supreme Court. The reason that the courts have not accepted the, the cases is that they do not want to have to examine the evidence because the evidence clearly establishes that the election was stolen and that the theft was carefully planned in advance. The state courts in the, in the swing states where the election was stolen are protecting the Democrats. The U.S. Supreme Court refused to accept the case on the grounds that Texas did not have standing to bring a case. Clearly, there's been no judicial ruling on the evidence that the election was legitimate. The U.S. Supreme Court will protect the establishment and the establishment's reputation before it will protect the electoral integrity. So the evidence has been refused examination by the state and federal judiciary. So much for American democracy, so much, so much for American rule of law. No such rule exists. Law exists only for the purposes of the ruling establishment, the power, not laws, rules in America. U.S. Supreme Court is an establishment institution. It makes controversial rulings only when it has the media on its side. Note that Hunter Biden's laptop, which we know for a fact indicates both his and his father's corruption in the sale of protection, is in the hands of the FBI, and nothing is done about Biden's criminal activity. The prostitutes claim that no such criminal activity exists. Apparently the FBI agrees. And it goes on and on with the fact that the system is so completely totalitarian and, and corrupt at the same time. But it is, isn't it? It talks about justice in America no longer exists. Justice is a retribution reserved for truth-tellers like Manning and Julian Assange. And justice means persecution and frame-up of those inconvenient for the establishment, even if the framed-up person is the person of the United States. Cover up for the establishment and you will be rich. Criticize the growing power over American citizens and you'll be made an example of what happens to those who are non-compliant. And then it goes on to say this too. The same in Germany, for example. Germany has closed down the German economy based on allegations of a COVID threat. There's little scientific basis for this drastic policy and a great deal of evidence against it. The German people themselves have strongly protested against it to no avail with the new lockdown at Christmas. Our world is one of controlled explanations. Consider the large number. For example, there are President Kennedy's assassination, Martin Luther King's assassination, Robert Kennedy's assassination, the Israeli attack on USS Liberty 9-11, Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction, Assad's use of chemical weapons, Russian invasion of Ukraine, Iranian nukes, Russiagate, and other orchestrated charges against President Trump. 
the Western world emerged from the fall of the Roman world and the uncertainties of the Middle Ages to become eventually a civilization based in science and evidence. But today, evidence no longer counts. What counts in the Western world today is emotion. If you have the correct emotions, you are woke. And know that Western civilization is racist and misogynist and imperialist and that its white inhabitants are systemic racists who oppress black people for racist reasons. You know that the evil of the white race necessitates their overthrowing. If you are a white person, you are put in a position where social justice requires you to be put into a lower legal class with less rights. It's not considered hate speech to declare that witnesses must be erased. Isn't that the truth? We're seeing it all today, aren't we? The problem with the Western world is that many white people agree, agree with their indictment Deracinated white people lack the confidence to defend themselves, their history, their monuments, and their achievements. In a a diverse multicultural society, deracinated races have little prospect. The defense of whiteness is defined as racist, and this is used to prevent the rise of leaders who would restore white confidence. And this is Jean Raspel's novel, The Camp of the Saints, foretold the future of white people. But yeah, we're seeing total war here, by, not from the, the grassroots, but by the ones who created the grassroots movements you're hearing about that have been rampaging and rioting and burning and looting. It's a color revolution, CIA. See, that's what's been happening here. Now there's an article here by Mercola. Interesting too, it says bioweapons labs get more National Institute of Health funding for deadly research. And this is from September, this was done, but it's just as prevalent today, or relevant today, I should say. And um, the, the story at glance says, EcoHealth Alliance co- collaborated with the Wuhan Institute of Virology for years, collecting coronavirus samples from bats and manipulating it to jump to humans. That's a gain-of-function. And the gain-of-function research was carried out via grant awarded by the National Institute of Health, NIH. The grant was cut off in April 2020 as the COVID-19 pandemic gained steam and U.S. intelligence agencies started to look into whether the coronavirus that started it all escaped from a biological laboratory in Wuhan, China. In August 2020, however, the NIH pivoted, granting a new $7.5 million grant to EcoHealth Alliance. This is important, EcoHealth Alliance. And part of an $82 million award being split among 11 research teams looking into the origins of viruses and how they infect people. The controversial move means that the EcoHealth Alliance's work will continue, this time targeting Southeast Asia instead of China. EcoHealth Alliance is a corporate-funded, non-profit organization. Isn't that fortunate, eh? A corporate-funded, non-profit organization that seeks to uncover novel viruses in the environment and has been working in China for decades, trapping bats and looking for previously unknown coronaviruses that could lead to a global pandemic. That's the excuses. This may become a surprise to many, but even more surprising is the fact that research was carried out via a grant awarded by the National Institutes of Health. While the grant was initially supposed to continue through 2024, it was cut off in April 2020 as the COVID-19 pandemic gained steam and U.S. intelligence agencies started to look into whether the coronavirus had started all escaped from a biological laboratory in Wuhan, China. EcoHealth Alliance collaborated with the Wuhan Institute of Virology for years, collecting coronavirus samples from the bats and investigating where they could jump to humans, said the NIH 
And the NIH told the non-profit that the project no longer fit NIH goals and priorities. In August 2020, however, the NIH pivoted, granting the new bunch, the whole bunch of new money and stuff like that. Sorry. It says here, the controversial gain-of-function research, it says. Gain-of-function researchers refer to studies that have the potential to enhance the ability of pathogens to cause disease, including enhancing either their pathogenicity or transmissibility. Such research is by its very nature controversial since there are clear risks uh, should the information be misused or the pathogens escape or are, or are maliciously released. Right? Further, Jonathan Latham, PhD, molecular biologist and virologist, and Alison Wilson, PhD, a geneticist, believe gain-of-function research performed at the Wuhan Institute of Virology played an essential causative role in the pandemic. Peter Daszak, EcoHealth Alliance president, ever said that the funding cut to their China bat research project would pose a threat to the U.S. public health. So if you cut us off, we'll be in danger of the public health. Once this pandemic is over, we know of hundreds of other coronaviruses that we have found evidence of in China that are waiting to emerge. They're just waiting, you see, like lined up. Dazak said in an interview with the NPR, we're now going to be unable to know about the risk of that, which puts us completely at risk of the next pandemic. <laughs> I tell you, there's psychopaths have no shame. Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, said, which is part of the NIH, has also been long back dangerous gain-of-function research including that conducted by EcoHealth Alliance, according to Newsweek. It says, Newsweek said, June last year, in 2019, the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases, that's Fauci's group, the organization led by Dr. Fauci, funded scientists at the Wuhan Institute of Virology and other institutions for work on gain-of-function research on back coronaviruses. So there you go, that's Newsweek. In 2019, with the backing of NIAID, the National Institutes for Health committed $3.7 million over six years for research that included some gain-of-function work. And the program followed another uh, $3.7 million five-year project for collecting and studying back coronaviruses and so on. So this was all, this is stuff we've all maybe seen as old, if you've been following this, and I have done articles before on the same thing from other sources, or the same sources, some of them. But there you go. I mean, here they are lining up for, for future pandemics. If you can just make things which were harmless to humans, dangerous, you know, gain-of-function process. Let's, let's push in evolution. It would evolve by itself one day. It could be a thousand years away or tenth, but we'll, we'll do it faster so we're ready for it. <laughs> this is the, the con that they're using. But it's really to do with biowarfare. They're the same labs. They're running the same labs, these, these particular types of labs across the world. And anyway, uh, it's got uh, it's got that. Um, hundreds of scientists call for the end of the gain of function research in 2014, from the same article, and it says exemptions to this pause, eventually reviewed by a secret government panel, were nonetheless allowed to go forward. The ban was lifted in 2017. Yeah, between 2014 and 16, the NIH and Fauci-led NIAID continued funding gain-of-function research overseas at the Wuhan lab via DASAC's EcoHealth Alliance. It's just astonishing. This gets away with it, and away with it, and away with it, you know. What's happening is just astonishing. 
and it and it goes into where they think that that particular virus initially was when that was being brought over to um, North Carolina to the university there. Since in 2015, the University of North Carolina collaborated with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, performing, performing gain-of-function research in which bat viruses were manipulated to create a chimeric virus capable of binding to human upper airway cells. And they give the name of that particular virus, and they give it a number, basically. But it, was, it was funded by the research, the research was funded by a U.S. grant. This wasn't mentioned by Nature magazine, which quoted Dazak as saying the findings moved this virus from a candidate emerging pathogen to clear and present danger. And then that National Institute of Health Conditions for restoring prior grant go unmet and so on for, for EcoHealth Alliance. It's just, you, you can't, you know, you can't move anywhere without wading through incredible Corruption and manipulation or everywhere you look. That, that's so true. It's everywhere, folks. It's disgusting. And it's all through society from all, all, the, all the, the brokers of authority, all, the, all these different institutes we have from governments and everything else. It's just so incredibly corrupt. But the big gang at the top all work together quite ably without problems, obviously to bring in this planned new society that's happening right now. You're living through it. As I mentioned at the beginning of the talk, too, you're living through the, the biggest event of your, your history. Your, in your lifetime, that is. This is bigger than a world war, because world wars couldn't have achieved everything, all the outcomes that this complete reset, as they call it, the Great Reset, is going to do, bring you right back into a pre-industrial society, not never to go back to it, in a pre-industrial society with, with basically a subsistence form of living for most people. I hope you understand that. That was never that never, it was never achieved by World War One or World War Two. But here you go, a perpetual debt you'd never get out of now with with the billions that are being borrowed every day and and tossed goodness knows where, probably into the into the hands of the the big richest folk on the planet already. Yeah, I bet you the bet it is where it's all going. But it's all put down for you to pay off, and your children, great-grandchildren, etc., etc. Total slavery. That's at the end of it, too. Planned, executed, and rigorously applied by governments across the world, completely in lockstep with each other, sworn, sworn to this agenda, putting this agenda through. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. It's an evil, evil system, eh? And uh, it truly is where they say wickedness in high places in the Bible, you know. You're, you're witnessing it. You, the cunning and the, the quiet development over many years to, to make this, to get this ready, if, if, the, if the climate change reason for, for depopulation didn't go through or was abandoned, this is the fastest way to accomplish it all. And that's what I started off to talk about. Oh, so many months left, so many years left before it's all finished. So we're all done for under this under the climate terrifying scenarios. Well, here you go. They've done it all. They, they fulfilled what they said to do at the last meeting. Where they said the people weren't listening. We need something more drastic. Well, here it is, folks. You're living through it right now. And you didn't get to vote on any of it. You didn't get to say anything. If you try to say anything now, you get banned for saying it. <laughs> or lambasted for at least mentioning it. There's no doubt about that. The authority, the world authority, the authority on everything. 
decides what you're, what they're going to say is true and what's false. Nothing to do with the facts, you know. Mm-mm-mm. What a time, though, eh? And I keep mentioning to people, don't crack up. I get lots of people who, you know, all over the world, sometimes people never heard of before or from before, and uh, some people are cracking up, others are hanging in there and and trying to make do as best they can with all the lockdowns, etc. Uh, some people, if you notice the newspapers, have, are suffering. Some have committed suicide by the newspapers at different accounts because they can't stand the lockdowns. Not Not just elderly people, but... Uh, that too, but but also young people as well. And we're supposed to go. That's all acceptable to the to the Bill Gates of this world, eh? And uh, the Rockefellers that said, well, you know, that's just a you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs, you know. Yeah. Acceptable fallout from it all. Evil, evil time indeed. And really, it's up to the people how how far they're going to bend over here because. You've got, you've got masks everywhere else applied to your body and, and they're going to put diapers on you and yada, yada, yada. And they're not, yeah, and it's nothing to do with, with, with stopping you from getting the disease. They say that themselves yeah, from the makers of the vaccines. They won't necessarily stop you getting the disease or spreading it for that matter, even after the vaccine. Just astonishing, but yeah, you're never to go back to normal. Now then, they stretch this this lockdown for another another maybe two years, another couple. Of years. The World Bank is five years altogether. Out of this will emerge complete the completely new planned system that's been lying on the shelves for years, all planned, ready to go by your global establishment, by the WEF the CFR, the Trilateral Commission, all the groups involved in this, to sit and wait to use it. Well, you're living it through, and, and this is it, folks. And how far they're going to push you and how hard, as far as you let them. It's that simple. They've declared complete, total war on you. Complete. This is an incredible tyranny like never seen before in history. Now I'm going to put a link up tonight too to uh, a video of Dr. Vernon Coleman who has come out with a little clip, it's not long, a few minutes, talking about the reports coming in already from adverse reaction to the vaccines in the States and elsewhere, I guess. And it works out how many people per thousands come down or are scheduled to come down with problems. Adjusting from the statistics uh, from the actual advisory group that's managing all of this at the, for the CDC, and it's for it's from the, the information is from the the U.S. Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, ACIP, of the Center for Disease Control. So it's from the official sites themselves. The information is coming from. So I'll put that up tonight. The link to the video, and you can look it up for yourselves and listen to it too. Because it's just astonishing what's scheduled to happen here. And they know what they're doing, obviously. And it's acceptable that this the fallout is, is, is deemed to be acceptable unless it happens to you personally. So it's a food for thought for those who are wondering what's going on and what to do about it. So as I said before, you, you, you have to re Don't give up, you know. And don't panic because previous generations have had their hells to go through to. They always give every generation 
bank crashes, great depressions and wars and things. So this is a big one for all of us, though, to affect everybody from now on. And how far they're going to go is depending on how far you're going to let them. It's that simple. It's that simple, folks. When Cuomo in New York was questioned after his previous lockdowns, that, that where he got four killed in, in old age nursing homes and so on by putting infected patients in with them and so on. And unrepentant, a real, a real psychopath, this character too. They all are. But when he's questioned openly on television, he says, well, he's been forcing you. I, I, I don't have the power to force people to do anything, he says. I ask them, you know. But I, so they was trying to get out of it. Then, oh, I don't. In other words, you did it all yourself. You you complied. That, that's the, you complied with it all. He's saying there's your legality. That's what that's what he's really referring to. He says I can't make you make you. It's true enough. If everybody said no, what's going to do? Nothing. He can do anything. You acquiesce in your own demise. That's what I said back in 1998. And here you go doing it again, big time this time. This is a big one. So remember, have a, a few friends you can hang on to and then help each other out because it's very important you do. Because what you were going to go through is not going to be pleasant. It's not going to get better. And even those who, who, who go and get the vaccinations, they've already said you stuff that wear masks and suffer lockdowns and so on. And you won't, it doesn't mean you're not going to get the infection to any degree of severity or whatever. They can't tell, they say. But you can still spread it to other people. So, there you go. Not pleasant at all. So you need a few friends to help each other out in times of crisis. And if some of you get locked down, others might be able to get something to you, like food or whatever happened. you got to start helping each other here. you got to start doing it. Because that's how society's always survived in previous times and previous centuries through hell. It was brought on by authorities and wars and so on. They helped each other, and that's how you get through, folks. Nothing comes from government without massive conditions, as you well know. They're talking now about mandatory vaccinations for those who've already accepted the the stay-at-home money, you know, from the governments. They're floating that one out there now. Well, here's the price of it. You've got to accept these vaccinations. So, as I say, look after each other, don't give up, because there are bigger things and bigger powers than what you're seeing at the moment, as you well know that too. At least some people know that. And it's not just a belief system, sometimes it's, it's an experiencing system. You know that, it's very, very true. And that certainly helps. And the world definitely is a, this is the, the plane, as I mentioned before, where it's between heaven and hell to an extent. Everything's decided here, everything has been it's been put on the decisions for the whole future of us and everything else on this planet here. And you're supposed to participate in the destiny of the world. You're supposed to do that. That's what it's about. Participation, in a sense, gives you life to an extent as well. Because you've got to have that purpose. And we're all here for a purpose. Well, maybe not all. People do go. Other people who are quite content and just uh, being what Bertrand Russell said they'd be, you know, train them to be this and train them to be that, docile and and content and entertained and all the rest of it. So a lot of folk are like that. But a lot of folk, and by, by the same token, 
know that things are vastly, vastly wrong. And they know what's wrong. And they know that right now evil is being let loose. With the usual stints of government and authority, as they, they, they stick their chins out and, and, and order you to do it, you can see it all coming down the pike, the st- standard thing, where they're all committed uh, on, by the same oath to do what they're doing. And they, they are under oath to each other and to a higher uh, organization than your governments. There's no doubt about it. So as I say, take care of yourselves, and I like to read the articles and coming in from different people across the world. I don't get round to replying to every single person because there's that many. But personal experiences are what really matters, isn't it? Because that's real history. It's not authorized history written in advance before the events, which never changes. It's, it's the real history that you're experiencing, the real details of, of circumstances, experiences as you go through all this, that's true history and that's what should be passed on to future generations. It really is, it really very so true, it really is. So from myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada, it's good night and your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>